It's Friday, December 9th, 2022, and this is the National Pulse Presents Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear. Hot melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the My Pillow family getting ready to crank out big time Christmas savings. Give the gifts of comfort, rest, and relaxation with My Pillows, the Air Lindells, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. From MyPillow.com forward slash steak. You enter the promo code there. You get up to 80% off your Christmas purchases. More of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. And a promo code steak at my store. And you're going to get 25% off your order. 50% off if you do a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. For anything sleep related, if you're more of a morning person, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, got more money, more problems, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company, grown in the fields of Nicaragua and world. Age three years. Absolutely fantastic. Noah, rate him. 10 out of 10. And a promo code stake here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's got a five-star rating as well. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone. 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off-duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for all. They're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last, but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair can only be found at Dumpbox. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show at Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Welcome. Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 194. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. 
Antoinette's joined us. Hello. Guys, we've got a great show packed with guests. Incoming freshman congressman Max Miller is going to be here. Trump attorney Alina Haba and G.S. Quay, the Daily Caller. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. To 2024, some really important races between the White House and control of the House and the Senate once again. So I think that our party needs to look to the future uh, in many respects, and that includes uh, the future of the RNC and the future of the Republican Party and ways to, to be better and stronger. Well, Congressman, it, it sounds like you really did your homework, and we know you did because we know you were mulling a bid uh, to run for the RNC chair for about a month. You announced yesterday that you would not be running up against Ronna McDaniel. Any chance you're going to reconsider that? And I, I believe your statement said not, not now. Is there going to be a, a chance for you to do that later? Uh, it, well, no, because uh, the, the chairwoman has said that she is going to run again. And, and the way this works is it's a process of 168 RNC members. There's three people from 50 states and six territories. They all have a state chair, a committee man, and a committee woman. So over the last few weeks, I've been calling and speaking to many of these people. And I can tell through these calls that this thing is pre-baked. If she wants to run again, I, I believe that she's going to, by design, uh, be getting reelected to a historic fourth term. Uh, and you know that, I don't believe, is the best path forward for the party. And the question shouldn't be whether or not Ronna McDaniel can put together the votes to get reelected to another term. I believe the real question that our party needs to have is whether or not she should be running for a fourth term. And I believe the answer to that is no. With all due respect, I've gotten along with her just fine. It's not about that. It's not about personalities. I just believe that our party is ready to, to retool with new leadership. Is it fair to say it sounds like you're issuing a warning for what her continued leadership would mean for your party in 2024? I believe that it's an opportunity for us here, okay. uh, for uh, as a party to be able to to grow and, and talk about not just what we are against, you know, Joe Biden bad, Democratic Party bad. We could talk about what's wrong in, in the mm -hmm. opposition, but you know what? Beyond that, to get people to buy in and believe and have hope and faith and trust, you have to tell people what you stand for. And our party, from messaging and far more, has an opportunity to be able to earn back the support from ticket splitters. And also people who have always voted Democrat who are willing to give us a shot, but we have to go out and find them, work hard to earn their support, and to win these races coming up in 24. That's former gubernatorial candidate and Congressman Lee Zeldin right there on Fox News yesterday talking about his decision following the outcome of the Georgia Senate runoff election, which was a win for incumbent Raphael Warnock to remove his name from possible challenger to current GOP chair Ronna McDaniel. No, what do you think? A lot of people were hoping that Lee Zeldin uh, jumped in there. I mean, it'd be good to get some new blood in there for sure. Antoinette, I mean, I know I, you, you definitely don't want Ronna McDaniel to win re-election. What do you think? No, I, I was I was hoping Zeldin would have would have ran, but like Noah said, we need some new blood in there for sure. Yeah, I don't Somebody, think we need a fourth term of this one. No, absolutely not. No, it's it, it's definitely it's time for something different, and and it looks like it's down to a two horse race now between, you know, the incumbent chair Ronna McDaniel and and challenger RNC lawyer Harmeet Dillon, who quite possibly could be joining us on the show next week. Um, I just don't like the way. Okay, so so I've been talking to a bunch of people, and we all know there's a chance Ron DeSantis runs in the uh, presidential primary. Uh, I've been able to confirm that he doesn't really want to, but there's a lot of pressure 
big donors and and you know financial backers who are, are trying to get him to be a horse in the race. Well, hopefully, he does the right thing. If he doesn't want to do it, then don't do it. Yeah, especially because of how the legacy media has made Donald Trump appear vulnerable now. Um, but the fact of the matter is, what kind of leads me to believe he might get in the race is that someone that I have a lot of confidence in when it comes to insider info told me that if Ron DeSantis was going to be building a presidential primary team, Adam Laxalt and Lee Zeldin would be on it. Mm. And Mm. Lee Zeldin pulling his nomination for the RNC chair kind of leads me to believe. Yeah, we all know that Adam Laxalt has a long-standing history with Ron DeSantis. Uh, They both served in the military. I believe they were college roommates. And uh, that doesn't really weird me out because that's kind of what you do. You know, you go with your friends and support them, especially if you have, right. you know, the political capital like someone like Adam Laxalt does. And we did see Ron DeSantis come to Lee Zeldin's aid, especially down the stretch of the New York gubernatorial race. So well, we've been saying for weeks that if DeSantis does run, it's going to be disastrous for his career if he doesn't actually yeah. pull it off. Right. Would that right. affect people that are attached to him as well? Depends on how close the race is. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, that that's that's kind of leading me to believe. Uh, I would say I'm fifty one forty nine. He's running right now, um, much like the U.S. Senate after the runoff election Ooh. the other day. Uh, we'll we'll get to that in, in news one a little bit later, though. But you know, it, it's it. I don't know. It, it's kind of just funny to me how this is all shaping up, and, and a lot of it centers around the growing pains that the Republican Party is going through in regards to leadership right now. We did see Chip Roy said he's leading a delegation of up to seven House uh, representatives in addition to Matt Gates and his core four, uh, which includes Andy Biggs, saying that if Kevin McCarthy does not meet the demands of the Freedom Caucus and the things that, you know, some of these representatives probably, in addition to Chip Roy, you've got like uh, Ronnie Jackson want to happen uh, to, to fix that border right now, then they're not voting for him either uh, on election day, which means he's going to have to whip a whole lot more than two or three people if it gets up to 10 plus, and, which could spell disaster. I mean, obviously, we're not getting Liz Cheney or a Democrat, but the alternative to Kevin McCarthy could be something much more vanilla than he's appearing to be right now. Uh, he did pick up a win last week after a closed door meeting with Joe Biden about budget appropriations for next year and NDAA. Um, was able to get the COVID vaccine mandates for across the military removed. Um, so that was good. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just hope it, it continues to trickle down onto like the rest of the federal agencies and government workers because, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, have been affected by that as well. I saw Kevin McCarthy. He jumped on last night with the Botox queen, Laura Ingram, to talk about the current RNC chair. And uh, I'm pretty sure for someone as his establishment as Kevin McCarthy is, his endorsement isn't going to surprise anybody. Let's hear it. Big um, question. I've been getting pinged by this all day. Is this uh, RNC leadership question? Because mm-hmm. a lot of Republicans are worried because they think, you know, they're glad they won the House and a couple more seats look like they're picked up. We're going to talk to John Duarte in a we, minute. We but who, in who, are, who do you think now should be take over as RNC chair. We uh, like Ronna McDaniel a lot. Personally, I think she's she's a great person. I like her. Mm. Harmeet Dillon is a young female, California, uh, obviously Indian-American. Look, I like Harmeet. She's my national commitment. I think she does a tremendous job. But I think Ronna did a tremendous job, too. Look, when you look across the country, every, every Republican entity lost except the House. I've been leader for four years. 
We've won every single time. What about early voting for those Senate races? She could have helped on that, right? I've watched her down doing it. The one thing I see happening, the Senate lost, the, the governor's lost, the president lost. But the House has won in both cycles. Even the, We picked up in California. We picked up in Oregon. We picked up in New York. We, we won five seats that Biden won by more than 10 points. We beat the DCCC chair. That hasn't happened in 42 years. I think the quality of the candidate matters. We could have done better in Pennsylvania with a better governor candidate there. It cost us a thing. But look, I saw the resources there. I saw the engagement in there. And the RNC is a small group of individuals, a committee men yeah. and committee women. I think, think they should look be decentralized. What do you think? He's such a listen. He's the greatest political opportunist in 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 modern politics. He literally is. He knows how to talk out of both sides of his mouth, and he could do it at the same time. Yeah, he's just like I'm. Just gonna scoop this up. Exactly. Uh, he'll shoot you with. I know there's a lot of problems, but look at the success we've had. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it's been a really rough road, but we've picked up so many seats, and it's just like, come on, Kevy. I mean, he's he, listen. He's got to be under an extreme amount of of duress due to the fact of. I know you just got in a car accident, but look how durable it was. Exactly. Just imagine all those airbags didn't deploy. Right? Uh, it, yeah, it's just uh, uh, he's got a lot of shit that he needs to straighten out in the next three weeks or or, or we're going to be having some some big-time issues come uh, January 3rd when they have the actual vote on the floor of the House. Um, I mean, we can't talk about the leadership coming in without, you know, bringing up Harmeet Dillon. We, we've talked about her extensively on the show. Uh, she was also on the Botox Queen show last night, and, and Laura Ingram was talking to her, kind of picked up where Tucker Carlson had left off uh, when we heard from her on our Tuesday edition of the show. Let's hear it. Mr. Harmeet, I've known you for about 25 years. We both went to the same college, Dartmouth, and on to UVA Law School. You're a few years younger than I am, lucky girl. Um, but I've known you, and I can say with you know full candor to everybody, as I always try to be candid, you are a consummate professional, and you don't take any crap from anyone, and you do it with a smile. But, you know, is it pre-baked that Ronna McDaniel stays on as RNC chair? Well, thank you for having me, Laura, and for your kind words. I, I can understand why Lee Zeldin feels that way. He probably ran into a brick wall of members who have been made a lot of promises by our current chair. And, you know, also, members prefer another member to be the chair of the RNC. And so those two factors do make it daunting. And, you know, I'm making calls to members. I'm hearing a lot of disgruntled members who really want to see change, but they're also afraid. Because there's been a culture at the RNC that if you don't play ball with the chair and the frankly corrupt, consultant-driven machine inside the Beltway, you'll be punished. You may not get plum committee assignments. Your state may not get transfers to their building fund. You may not get help with your congressional races, um, and, and on and on and on. And, like, this you know, culture of retribution and, you know, sort of transactional relationships is not what the RNC is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be a, about electing Republicans all over the country. And I've actually been kind of appalled by some of the things I've heard over the last two weeks as I've begun making phone calls to members. And so I pledge to turn that around, Laura. We cannot have a top-down, consultant-driven 1990s, 2000-era, get fat off of media and direct mail mm. and not 
do efficient changes that are necessary to compete with the Democrats. The Democrats aren't running campaigns like they were back in the day. They are absolutely aggressively and, and just brutally on every innovation in law, on every innovation in starting 501c3s and nonprofits, fake nonprofits that do the work of the Democrats. And we are not innovating. We are not leading. Our messaging is not clear and concise. Well, stale. And we are not it's motivating stale. the base. Yeah. Well, by the way, Harmeet, I mean, um, MSNBC, uh, we don't have to play the soundbite, but suffice it to say, the fact that they're so worried about you, that tells me everything I need to know, namely that you're the right person for the job. They're like, well, she could be problematic. Harmeet, we're going to be covering this. I want to be fair to both Rana and you. But again, no offense, but it's time to change it up. Harmeet, thank you. Mm -hmm. So Harmeet Dillon, she did play for our team on just about everything during the the quote-unquote pandemic and everything like that. I mean, she was criticizing the stay-at-home orders, the masking, said they didn't work, the whole deal, and called for the reopening of the economy. Like, I mean, she she does have the right message when it comes to what's best for the general public. I don't not like Harmeet Dillon. I just want to circle back to what I said on the Tuesday edition of the show. I don't want a bait-and-switch where Ronan sees the writing on the wall, knows if she wins re-election, she's going to be very unpopular, she does know that there's going to be, obviously, optics problems. The first thing she does, if Donald Trump's the nominee that he doesn't like, he's going to truth about it, possibly at some point tweet about it, and then that's all everybody's going to talk about. And we're going right. to run back into the disenfranchisement that we had during the 2016 election cycle, uh, you know, and moving up through 2020 where her and Donald Trump were just not on the same page. You know, she rode that wave of being the Michigan GOP chair in 2016 after he pulled off the Stunning win there, but uh, hasn't been able to do much with it. I'm glad, actually, that we have incoming uh, House Representative Max Miller on today because in addition to talking about speakership, we're also going to be able to touch on, you know, what he thinks for GOP chair because for someone that worked in the Trump White House and was on the Trump 2020 re-election campaign, you know, he's definitely got a little bit of uh, well, insider info that you're probably not going to hear from very many other people. Um I don't know. What do you guys answer that? What do you think of Harmeet Dillon? I mean, I, I, obviously, she's a really good lawyer. She's come out publicly uh, alignment wise to Trump. Uh, we've seen it a lot before. I want to make sure it's real. But the yeah, fact, that's the fact, that, yeah, the fact of the matter is, it's like someone who's already been in the RNC for a couple of years, like she has. You know, we just don't know. And like you said, bait and switch. And it's it's hard to tell right now. Like, and like Noah said earlier, we need new blood. And I mean, I think she's great on the front, but you've got to look at all, you know, you've got to look at everything and considering everything. And, and oh man, it's hard. It's hard to say. She's been in for a while, so she could be like the rest. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a concern I had. We can't get out of the cold open real quick, though, without at least hearing from Ron McDaniel. I did see her on uh, the news last night, and she was kind of making her case. For some reason, she's obsessed with cars and highways. We'll get into a couple other things that, you know, she blamed for the non-successes they had in this midterm election cycle. But let's hear from the current RNC chairwoman uh, making a case for herself. Does, understands that we build the infrastructure. We do the voter registration. 
we are doing community centers and outreach. We build a road that the candidates drive on. We put the candidates in a position to win, but we don't do the messaging for the candidates and we don't do the campaign uh, and we don't pick the candidates. Um, I think with the RNC's record, the cycle of turning out more than uh, 4 million more Republicans of winning statewide and almost every battleground state proves that the turnout worked. We just have to understand why one Republican won in a state and one didn't, and that's going to come down to messaging, and we've got to figure out why one Republican appealed to independence and another, and another didn't. But I think from an RNC standpoint, we flipped the House, and our ground game worked. Our ground game worked. Mm. I think there's at least uh, five former senatorial candidates, a handful of <laughs> governor candidates, and uh, definitely more than a dozen House reps. Uh, who who bowed out in the general election uh, thanks to her ground game and messaging. Listen, if we're going to continue to do what we do, we already talked about last episode on the show about the amount of money that was spent on a lot of these candidates. We went through the House and the Senate. I'm sure the gubernatorial races are just as ugly, where it's not hundreds of thousands, it's tens of millions of dollars more that Republicans are outspent. Uh, you know, Twitter's become so good at, in-state accounts who are really closely attached to these campaigns pointing out like Mitch McConnell's pulling ads, Ronald McDaniel's pulling ads, Kevin McCarthy's running ads against the primary winner who's now the Republican nominee in the general election. It's almost impossible to hide. And the biggest thing to me is that a lot of these people like Ronald McDaniel, Mitch McConnell, and Kevin McCarthy, they live in an alternate reality to where they can go on huge platforms like Fox News and talk about all of the things that they did well and no one has the courage to ask him about why did you do all the other things leading up to the wellness you did to make everything else so awful. Mm. And that's just the fact of the matter. It's the biggest problem in the Republican party right now. You have a lot of people, the chip Roy's, the Andy Biggs, the Matt Gates's calling it out. I saw Corey Mills was on uh, Newsmax this morning and Fox news calling it out. You know, we've got some incoming freshman house representatives, Mike Collins off top. Definitely Monica De La Cruz. They, Chuck Schumer was out there on Capitol Hill last week talking about amnesty for millions of people. Monica De La Cruz came out and said, dude, in the last three weeks, you had three Border Patrol agents in the same sector commit suicide and another one get killed in a high-speed chase with alien uh, smugglers on the border. And, and you want to talk about amnesty for all these people. And uh, we're definitely going to touch on the border a little bit later in the show. I but- feel like the the staffing at the border killing themselves doesn't fall under operational control either. It, well, hang on. Are you talking about operational control or full and total operational control? Because oh, that's where we're at Is that at the now. new one? Now it's full and total? Yeah, well, I don't have the data. I don't have the data either. I... <laughs> either does Alejandro Mayorkas, apparently, when he goes before congressional committee. But uh, he better get the data and produce some receipts mm. because shortly after the third of the year, he's going to be back up there and, and, and on the hot seat. And, I mean, there's a, there's a huge slate of things we're going to talk about. We need to get a little bit of a better view from inside the Beltway right now. So let's take it up. To Capitol Hill and jump in with one of our favorite incoming freshman House candidates. All right, joining us first on the show today, he's a congressman-elect for Ohio's 7th District, jumping back on the show with us since his big election win in November. Mr. Max Miller, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come on Steak for Breakfast. Of course, I love you guys. I'm glad to be back on. And we are so happy that you are where you're at right now, which is getting ready to be sworn in on January 3rd. Congratulations on the huge win. We were so happy to see you get over that finish line and uh, are going to be representing the Fighting 7th of Ohio. How's everything been and uh, how was congressional orientation and what can you tell us about what it's looking like up there right now? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, since the win, it's been phenomenal. Uh, the reception from the community of the seventh district, all those, uh, all those gentlemen and ladies there, they've done a phenomenal job, uh, really coalescing a community behind us. And it's a full team effort. There's no, I it's a, we, uh, but since we've been here for orientation, we just wrapped up our final week and throughout orientation, you know, you can run for leadership in your freshman class. I decided to to do something they tell you not to do in the military, which is volunteer for something else. Uh, but I did. And we got the head of steering for a freshman class. It essentially means that I am going to prioritize every single freshman before myself to make sure they get their committee assignments that they need so they can produce for their district and for this country. That's a really, really big honor that was bestowed upon me that, you know, all these freshman members in the Republican conference have that faith, trust, and confidence in my ability to execute. And it's what I had partially been campaigning on is that I know how this place works. I had been in the white house for four years. I know how these animals maneuver. I know some of the tricks. I know some of the games. If you give me that opportunity to to perform on your behalf, I will not let you down. And I believe that's why we ended up getting head of steering. And then just a couple weeks later for some dumb luck, uh, you know, I I was a 60th pick out of 74, um, you know, Republicans or Democrats who were there. And I got the number one pick in the office lottery. So now I think everyone just wants to beat me up because I've had too good of a run here in two weeks. Um, But that's been phenomenal. And we're, we're over in the Cannon building on January 3rd. But other than that, you know, what we have ahead of us is, you know, it's going to be a tough speaker fight without question. I think that, you know, leader McCarthy does survive. Uh, And I think, you know, I don't think I know we have a, a trough of issues that we have to address immediately. And first and foremost, I'm saying this because of the impact it's had to our country. And that's the Southern border. Close that thing down, use the power of the purse. We have to do something about it. Biden wants to go do a face to camera and say, yeah, I'm landing by the border. But it's not important. Well, no, sir, it, it, it is important. 300 Americans are dying every single day of fentanyl overdoses. Young women and children are being brought into our country who are put into slave and sex trafficking. And this is all happening right under our nose. And it's not even under our nose, gentlemen. We know it's happening. You two have seen it happen, right? And I have to go into our district and do a ride-along, which I'd love to do ride-alongs with the Parma Fire Department, and we had to respond to an individual who had OD'd on fentanyl. And he had five, he had three nasal, excuse me, two nasal Narcan and three IV Narcan just to bring that man back to life. And that is what we are dealing with. So when this president says that, you know, the border's not a priority, he's dead wrong. It's the biggest priority, I believe, the Republican conference has to save our own country and every American with inside of it for numerous reasons. Um, Not to mention the terrorists that are coming here that we're not catching that are going to go ahead and set up sleeper cells throughout our country to make sure that the West does fall eventually. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to think, look, you want to be like the Chinese to some extent, a robust economy and they're doing well. Then we need to take a page out of their playbook, which is show no mercy. We need to take care of ourselves first and foremost before we start helping other people. Um, And that's the same methodology uh, you know, that's throughout our country and has been, and now it's lost thanks to Joe Biden and this reckless administration. Oh, and they have been reckless. You know, it's, it's so funny when you talk about the crisis at the border and then you see 
all of the people that we've let in over the course of the last two years of the Biden administration, and now we have Chuck Schumer and, and Tom Tillis out there talking about amnesty for the ones that are already here because they've let in so many now. It's backfill for a couple election cycles down the road. We'll take care of amnesty now, give all the people here already, the DACA recipients and stuff like that, a path to citizenship. And then now the over, you know, getting close to 3 million people that have come in since 2021 – uh, we'll have amnesty for them a couple election cycles down the road, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that was an eye-rolling experience to hear uh, you know, them up on Capitol Hill talking about that stuff. It's nonsense. What we need to be doing is we need to be supporting Border Patrol and ICE more so than what we're doing now. Get these individuals out of our country and establish a merit-based immigration system. If we want migrants over here, as we are built in this country off of immigrants, I and myself come from a family of immigrants, and I bet the both of you do as well, and most of our listeners, right? And that being said, why not just roll over into an H2C visa program? Put a cap on it, call it 50000 a year or 100000 with our population declining. Give them a three- to five-year window. Pay your taxes, be an upstanding American citizen over here on a visa. Know what it means to look at that flag and to understand that men and women have died so that you can enjoy the freedoms that you have within our country to bring you this type of life, that hopefully you will live out the American dream. That's what we should be doing. Instead, he wants to recklessly just let a few million people become American citizens who've been into our country now for maybe close to two years or several months or what have you, who cannot work. They don't have worker permits. They don't have any type of visas. They don't have a social security number. My father right now in his small business in Cleveland, Ohio, he can't find enough workers. If he wanted to go down to the border to hire 20 migrants and illegal immigrants, which all have committed a felony, we just choose not to enforce it because of this administration. He can't because regulatory agencies would fine him tens of thousands of dollars and then they would threaten him with jail time. Yeah. But this is an administration who continues to promote this type of policy and good luck tracking all those people down. Go, go for it. It's inconceivable that that would ever happen. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's really interesting to see the Biden administration's play here and then their choice to double down. I mean, you already commented on Joe Biden's rhetoric the other day. We've seen much of the same from Alejandro Mayorkas, whether he loses in federal court or is, you know, under the guise of uh, congressional investigation, he'll just either say he doesn't have the data or he'll go back to his office and write administrative policies around legitimate federal court rulings. And uh, it's only made the situation worse. I did hear you talk about, you know, Leader McCarthy in the in the top right now, and and I just wanted to get your take on this. Do you think a lot of the pressure that Kevin McCarthy is under right now is because some of the the real leaders in in the House of Representatives, maybe even a lot of the people in the Freedom Caucus, want him to abide by some of the things that they know are going to offer solutions to these problems and not just be rhetoric, which is, you know, kind of the Democrat talking point right now. They used it during the home stretch of the uh, midterm elections. And if you've tracked KJP up on the, you know, at the White House press pool over the course of the last few weeks, anytime anything you know, comes up question wise to challenge a Biden administration decision or ruling or policy. She'll be like, okay, so what solutions are Republicans, you know, offering? What real solutions do they have? And I think, do, do you think that, you know, Kevin McCarthy really needs to be hardline in, in standing up to this Biden administration and not just be kind of rhetoric driven moving forward for the next two years? Well, absolutely. But that's the challenge that he's going to face. Yeah. I think when you look at everything that's laid out right now, you know, if you're if you're a betting man or woman, you know, you're, you're putting your chips where, where, where Leader McCarthy's at. Sure. Um, if you've looked at, you know, people who have announced to run against them, they really haven't launched a formidable challenge. And it's almost they're just presenting another option. And I understand that we're supposed to have this giant red wave 
and it didn't really happen. Well, actually, it, it didn't happen at all. Right. But we still got we still got the majority. And as a byproduct of that, I feel as if everyone just thought that, you know, Leader McCarthy would then be speaker because we were going to pick up 30 to 40 seats. And throughout that time, no one launched a challenge. So if anyone in the Republican conference wants to be angry about having Speaker McCarthy, they can go take a look in the mirror because everyone did nothing. I mean, you know, inaction is action in itself, and that's what happened. But when it comes to, to Leader McCarthy becoming Speaker, he is using some tough rhetoric. But that is on, you know, the Speaker-designate to go ahead and to follow through with what he is saying he's going to do. Everyone makes promises throughout campaigns. Everyone makes promises when they run for leadership. What sets people apart are the ones who follow through on those promises. And if he doesn't, then, you know, I, I think we're going to we're going to face a very tough battle within conference. But I have faith that he will follow through on impeaching my and going after the Biden administration using our oversight authority on these committees. We need we don't have a choice, Ron, but to expose the Democrats and Joe Biden sure. for everything they've done to every single American in the last two years. If that is not the tack that we take then we have a much larger problem at hand and it doesn't start with the speaker. It goes to the core values of the Republican party and the America first agenda. So, you know, once he gets in there, he's going to follow through on what he says. And if not, then that's on him and we'll have to deal with, you know, the, the fallout from that. But that's just my, you know, what I think of how everything's playing out. Um, and it's going to be a tough battle, but if we, you know, continue just to jaw at each other and not get real work done and pass real legislation out of the house, then we have filled the American people, but that's not what's going to happen. And when you talk about KJP and she says, Republicans have no solutions. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yep. You know, it's dumb. You know, it's the dumbest thing you've ever heard too. I mean, let's be real. We don't have a solution for the border. We don't want a merit-based immigration system. We don't have a solution for our energy independence of how to streamline those federal permits that they're not letting big oil go ahead and drill for underneath our feet and off of our shores. We don't have a, we don't have an idea on how to increase our labor by focusing on the youth within this country and education, but showing them that, you know, a technical education is more valuable than a bachelor's degree and will set yourself apart with zero in debt, but make you a millionaire by the time you're in your mid forties. Yeah. It's laughable when she goes up there and says, we have no solutions. I'm a member elect. I just rattled off what three or four solutions, uh, I guess, problems we don't know how to face. Hey, what this administration does better than anybody else is lie on a daily basis to the American people full throttle. And they're not a apologetic about it you think the sky's blue they'll tell you it's freaking purple because they say it's purple so you should believe Ron, that the sky is freaking purple i mean that is the nonsense and bs that spews out of that place every single day and it's amazing because of all the dumb things that kjp says and just absolutely idiotic nonsense double talk and just word salad that she puts out mm -hmm. that is literally the dumbest thing that she's ever said yep. that republicans have no fucking answers because that's yeah. all we have our answers we're trying to solve the problems exactly exactly yeah no it's uh it, you guys have all seen the movie idiocracy right oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah well you mean, you I, mean we're, life? we're living in it and yeah except in this case joe biden isn't young and healthy he's just old and senile yeah um that and, is yeah but, uh, yeah. Max, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's something that's kind of been in the news cycle for the last couple of weeks. It's obviously the revelations that have come out that Elon Musk has been peeling back the layers at Twitter. 
you yeah. know, has someone that that's run for congressional office and, and probably has endured the uh, the shadow ban, the account repression, uh, you know, basically making it so you have no voice online when you're trying to run, you know, in some way, shapes and form national level campaigns. And to the extent uh, of how it goes back, you have, you know, James Comey's former general counsel, get fired for lying to Congress, jumps right over to Twitter. You got Perkins Coie in, involved in, in, in Twitter up until just recently now. In addition to that, you have facets of the Justice Department, the FBI, uh, congressmen in the House and Senate on both sides of the aisle, and the Biden campaign, all pretty much working together to make sure that America First didn't get heard anywhere, at least in the 2020 election cycle. Who knows how close up to when Elon Musk took it over that that stuff was still going on. Etc. As someone that's now in Congress, and there is a lot of judiciary and oversight things that, that need to happen. The list keeps growing longer every day with each bad decision we make. Uh, you know, coming out of the White House in this current administration, but regulating stuff like big tech and making sure that moving forward, this stuff can't happen in in elections in the future. Uh, re-election campaigns for people like yourself and and the presidential cycle in twenty twenty four. What's your whole take on the thing that's going on right now? I mean, it's pretty much a confirmation of what we all knew, but to see how deep it goes and, and that how many different kind of, you know, government entities and stuff were involved, was it surprising to you at all? No, I, mean, I don't think it was surprising to any of us, but in yes, it confirmed everything we already knew that was true. Here's the problem. The problem is two weeks ago, the media knew what Elon Musk was up to. And then if you go back just two weeks, you see how they set this man up to discredit him because they didn't want to go ahead and cop to the truth. Right. This is what the media does. They literally took a beloved figure, just like President Trump. Then he ran for office. Now he's a hated man. Elon Musk was one of the greatest innovators the world in this country has ever seen and brought us Tesla, SpaceX, and so much more in the future that he will. And then the media started breaking him down. They discredited what he was saying. And they did it time and time again for two weeks up until he, he dropped Twitter files. And then by that point, for some of us who already knew that it was true, we weren't shocked. We were like, wow, this does go deeper than we originally thought. And it needs to be looked into. We need to bring all of these individuals in under oath for a testimony to see exactly uh, everything that's been said and been going on to flush this out and to hold them accountable. Uh, consequences, you know, actions have consequences. And we can't just say slap on the wrist. You did a bad job. No. No, we need to throw some of these people into federal prison for some of the actions that they've taken when they screw with our election processes. I mean, as we had just talk, talked about, we have men and women who go and fight overseas for us and who perish from this earth and give this country a blank check to make sure that we can have proper and fair elections within our country. No one has ever died in vain for that. We have all, you know, every single one of them. So all that being said, you know, it's not shocking and um, how they're setting him up to take a huge fall. But no, we need to bring all these people in. And I'm talking about all those Democrats that you just named and the Republicans as well and sit them down and show the American people the truth and then have a con con congressional investigation, because this is a serious issue that we're talking about. This goes much, much deeper. And everything that that Google is also doing yeah. with suppressing our fundraising. I mean, if you look at the Democrats fundraising compared to the Republicans, it's at least two to three dollars off on small dollar fundraising and has taken a massive hit over the last couple of years. And that's all because of big tech. Big tech is one of the biggest cancers that we have within our society. But at the same time, it's one of the best jewels that we have because everything it offers us. We have information at our fingertips, right? We can process information and digest it within a few seconds. And it's very helpful to everything we do in terms of, you know, work and family and keeps us connected with everyone. That being said, 
look, bring these people in, ask them the questions. If they lie under oath, if they have committed a crime, then they should be brought and have charges brought up against them by the Department of Justice to then be looked into in a fair trial, um, which is something they don't give that right to Republicans on. Mm-hmm. You know, they hold this in contempt of Congress. They sentence you to prison for four to six months. But Eric Holder gets a free pass yep. because he's Eric Holder. Um, so, I mean, on all of that, yes, it's incredibly disturbing. Elon Musk is still a great man and he gets called a, he gets, this man gets called a freaking villain. He gets called a villain because he wants to show the American people the truth. I mean, that is how backwards we are in this country. When a man believes and knows he's doing the right thing to tell all of us the truth. And then we have the media out there saying that he's a liar saying that none of this is really true. This is all overblown. Well, I can, I can tell you someone who didn't think it was overblown, a Democrat in Rokana, yep, who was concerned about all of this that was going on and obviously had some type of intel or information that this was afoot. And I, you know what? I'll give him praise, and I'll, you know, I may not agree with him on the majority of things policy-wise, but good for him as an American to call them out to say, you know what? This is an infringement on the First Amendment right. It kind of works, though. I mean, it sucks that it's all happening, but at the same time, the more this stuff happens to people who really are more or less innocent in the fact that they're just being dragged through the mud for no reason other than the fact that you're the fucking target now, is people are starting to see it now. There's a lot of people that, you know, thought Elon Musk was a solid dude. They own Teslas. They they like the stuff that he's doing, the innovations, all that stuff like that. And they're like, wait, why are they dragging him through the mud like he's some sort of kook now? And And... The more that that happens with just normal people who are t- trying to do the right thing, it brings awareness to what's going on and starts waking people up. Oh, without question. What's uh, what's that actress's name? Um, God, this this I literally I was oh. at the airport. <laughs> I dropped Wal- my phone. Oh my God, I laughed so <laughs> damn hard. Yeah. She's like, I got rid of my Tesla for a VW, and I'm like, <laughs> so you funny. you idiot. So I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to call anyone a disparaging name, but. How dumb can you be? Hitler literally authorized VW to be his. I mean, it was his personal vehicle. It was his baby. Uh, so you dump a Tesla to go buy a Nazi mobile is, you know, for the, yeah, justice, social media warriors. These people are smoking crack with Hunter Biden on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I think the word you're looking for there to describe her is vacuous. There you go. <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't say that. No, I'm just but it's just like when we're, this was years ago at our Trump rally where someone screamed something out and then he repeated it and he's like, but I didn't say it. Okay. It wasn't me. <laughs> it, it was her. Okay. What did you say? And then boom. So yeah, Max, this has been awesome catching up with you. It, it's been way too long. We know that you've been busy, but uh, obviously once you're sworn in and up on Capitol Hill, we're going to be looking to circle back with you, of course, and catch some updates. And uh, our listenership really appreciates the fact that you've always taken time and so much of the busy stuff you're doing now as a congressman elect to, uh, you know, sit down with us and just give us a little bit of insight on what's really going on up there. You, you always give a real honest narrative and, and you're a straight shooter. You tell it like it is. And it's really uh, been a pleasure to uh, develop a friendship with you. So for anyone that's not following you across social media is that's uh, going to want to jump on the Max Miller train right now, uh, who not the Tesla train or the Volkswagen train, just the regular Max Miller train. Where can we find you? Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Max Miller OH. And same on Instagram as well. And, and Facebook, it's just Max Miller. You type it in. Uh, congressional candidate should pop right up. And I just want to say thank you to, to, you know, the entire steak for breakfast. You guys 
are my favorite podcast to jump on and nice. definitely will jump on again in a month when we get sworn in. But thank you for what you said. You know, I, I, I pride myself on being very honest and direct and just, you know, educating really the American public on the halls of Congress and how this place works because it's been shielded and it's been shielded for a reason to be very clear. It's because they don't want you to know how it works. Well, guess what? I got in, I'm going to start sharing the knowledge that's bestowed upon me to the American people. And we got to cut through the fat and we have to save our country. So I, I really do appreciate you guys. Uh, we appreciate you and you'll be doing it from a leadership standpoint as well, which shouldn't be too hard or, or outside the box for you. This is the Congressman elect from Ohio seventh district future representative, Max Miller. Thanks for joining us back on the show. All right, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Congressman James Comer, he will be investigating the Bidens. In the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, he will be investigating whether or not our FBI is politicized and Department of Justice is weaponized. Uh, Congressman Comer, I'll, I'll begin with you. Now that we know the FBI had this laptop for 11 months, there are, there's low-hanging fruit crimes, but that's not the big one. The, you said when you made your announcement about your investigation, this is an investigation into the president of the United States. That laptop implicates Joe Biden. We have photographs that prove that he was uh, with Hunter and his foreign business associates. We know that he went and attended meetings with foreign business associates and Hunter. We know Hunter bitches and moans and groans and complains. He's paying dad or pops all this money. So the question here is, is this the biggest influence peddling scandal Congress is investigating? Absolutely. Uh, there's nothing like it I in the history of America. Yes. We've never had a family that has influence peddled to this degree. And if you look at the, the whole purpose of what we're talking about today, it's because this investigation of the Biden family influence peddling, the evidence is based a lot in part with what it, the documents are and the data is on the laptop. So, Sean, I'm breaking on your show tonight based on the internal documents that Elon Musk released this weekend. The Oversight Committee will be sending a letter tomorrow morning to the three Twitter employees, Miss Gaddy, uh, Roth, and Baker, <laughs> that were implicated in the cover-up of the laptop story, three letters uh, requesting their presence in front of the Oversight Committee in January. But, but wasn't the FBI putting pressure on big tech companies? Oh, you, you, you're going to try. Go ahead, sir. Right. And, and what, what we're going to ask them is who was influencing your decision making? Did you do this unilaterally? Or did you do this based on uh, what you were told from the Biden campaign, from the Democrat National Committee, or even worse, and as I suspect, from the FBI? This is going to be an opportunity for the American people to hear directly from the three Twitter employees implicated in the data release that, that uh, Elon Musk just dumped this weekend. So uh, they're going to have a few weeks to get their story straight, and they're going to be able to come under oath in front of the House Oversight Committee and tell the American people what really happened and why. Why were they so intent on suppressing this story? Jim Comer, we'll give you the last word tonight. Well, remember, Sean, the whole purpose of this investigation is to determine whether or not this White House is compromised. When you look at all the bad policies coming out of this White House, especially with respect to things like energy policy uh, and the fact that Biden's trying to embrace this Green New Deal, who wants the Green New Deal more than anyone other than a few liberals in California? China. 
They want to put us at a competitive disadvantage. So a lot of the bad decisions this administration's making may be because they're compromised because of the millions of dollars that they receive through influence peddling from our adversaries in China, Russia, and the Middle East. That's why we're investigating the Biden family, and that's why we're going to uh, kick into high gear and in January once we have subpoena power and the gavel. And you are investigating the president as of the United States for influence yes. peddling. Is that correct? Absolutely. That is the investigation. Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, that's the future uh, Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee right there, Jim Comer. I think uh, maybe one of the things he said may not be completely accurate. I'm sure there's been some serious influence peddling in the past, but this is the first person who's gotten caught in such a grand scale. That's what happens when your son's a crackhead, right? The first dirtbag <laughs> Hunter Biden is obviously who Noah's referring to. And, and, you know, Jim Comer was referring to some of those people who were attached to those internal communications released in the uh, Elon Musk Twitter files to dump last night. Uh, Yoel Roth and, uh, well, Vagina God, of course, and, and former <laughs> Jim Comey, general counsel on the Russiagate investigation, Jim James Baker. Now, Elon Musk made it a point yesterday to talk about how Jack Dorsey's a nice guy and, and he really doesn't feel like, you know, he had any connection to this. That's yet to uh, be found out, but I really think that when you start peeling these layers back at some point, he at least knew uh, what was going on. And it'd be pretty interesting to see if we do get those congressional subpoenas uh, issued out for the three that he named. Do they start throwing Jack Dorsey under the bus? What do you think, Noah? I think some subpoena coladas would be good. Yeah, it's definitely, we, we, we got to get to the bottom of this. And in regards to investigating the Biden family. Well, there's just so much going on right now that people want answers for. And it's not just us now. Now, like, I mean, I keep saying this. Now the everyday Joe that's, you know, cruising around, starting to realize, like, the, the egg is cracking around him, that the news is lying to him. Everything is being skewed a certain way. And the fact checkers are opinion. Like, give me a break. Come on. The news is lying. The FBI is lying. The Department of Justice is lying. And you're just like, wow, I didn't think those guys were supposed to lie. I mean, to us anyway. Congress, like, I thought they were. Congress is lying. Yeah. Who's not lying? Us. Donald Trump. <laughs> we played a montage last week of everybody shutting him down and things that we obviously see Twitter went and, and you know, shut out. And uh, it's pretty funny to, to just see how this whole narrative is unfolding. I mean, it's it's getting very cliche to say Donald Trump was right again, but the fact of the matter, I mean, between Chris Wallace and then the 60 Minutes interview, those were the two biggest ones that stand out to me to where they were like, you're making it up. It's not real. Mr. President, you can't corroborate that. There's no evidence. And it's like, mm. Twitter emails go, Bert. <laughs> <laughs> Tucker Carlson led in with a similar narrative in, in, in his cold open last night. I want to play a portion of that because he kind of talked about some of the accounts uh, that were under big-time harassment as well. Let's hear it. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We begin with an unexpected Fox News alert. Just moments ago, Barry Weiss of Substack began posting part two of the Twitter files. Now, mm. these are assessments of internal documents from Twitter that have been hidden under previous management but are now being exposed by Elon Musk, who just bought the company. So first, Musk last week gave a trove of documents to Matt Taibbi of Substack and now to Barry Weiss. Weiss is unpacking all of this right now live on Twitter in a Twitter thread. What she has revealed so far confirms what many suspected but none knew for certain, which is 
that Twitter routinely censored prominent critics of the Biden administration, did so in secret without telling anyone, and with no factual justification whatsoever. This is known as shadow banning. Twitter did it all the time. Now, publicly, they denied doing it. People who were being shadow banned suspected something was up, but they didn't know. Now, officially, Twitter's chief legal officer, chief censor at Twitter, Vijaya Gade, a woman who was rewarded by the Biden administration for her work on their behalf, said that, quote, we do not shadow ban, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideologies. That's Weird. what she said. That was a lie. And the documents that Barry Weiss is posting right now, including screenshots of Twitter's internal censorship tools, prove that it was a lie. One of Twitter's targets for shadow banning was a Stanford professor, a physician, Ph.D., called Jay Bhattacharya, one of the most impressive people in American medicine, someone we've had on this show many, many times. Yep. There was no justification for censoring Jay Bhattacharya, except he was one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, which very early in the so-called pandemic infuriated our country's public health establishment, including Tony Fauci, by opposing COVID lockdowns. Jay Bhattacharya has spent his career studying the health effects of various policies on vulnerable populations. So he knew that COVID lockdowns would harm children, and he said so. That has turned out to be true. But Twitter, doubtless at the request of the authorities, shadow banned Professor Bhattacharya of Stanford for saying this out loud. They prevented his tweets from trending, and that meant that most users could not see his tweets, though they were... Well... There was that. That's awkward. We also saw some of the internal documents and screenshots from, you know, the people who worked at the highest levels of the Twitter Banhammer department. Um, people like Libs of TikTok. Can you put that on your business card? Banhammer. Charlie Kirk, big mm -hmm. head. Uh, Dan Bongino, who's like Boomer Switch Jr. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously political candidates. Elon Musk even put out in a tweet, uh, someone's, uh, I believe it was... Ian Miles Chong was talking about how do we know or can you confirm that the same thing that was happening to the biggest of influencer accounts uh, was happening to people who were running in, you know, congressional races, Senate races, things like that, the presidential race in 2020. And Elon Musk just responded, yes. Yeah. What if there's like a little overlay vote, like, you know, because it said like, uh, don't amplify mm -hmm. whatever the shadow ban term was. There's just like these little tabs that people they added to their accounts what if what if one of them is just like don't let people vote for this person i mean basically that's what it was and i mean one of the things that's even more disturbing was when you looked at some of the screenshots you could see that the people who ran twitter had unadulterated access to your dms oh really yeah i must have missed that one yeah I get that's a little weird no it's well it's a little standard for what's been going on over there and you can only assume the same's going on at places like instagram and facebook etc but uh you know first amendment wise i'm 100 on board with this complete horse shit this that and the other thing this needs to go away and these people need to be held accountable you want to talk about reality a little bit so so i always look to be like the uh narcissistic asshole in all of this. Mm. So I just started, you know, randomly Googling people's net worth, and it was like, Dan Mangino net worth, $11 million. Like, yeah. So what? Nobody hears your rants. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Charlie Kirk, net worth $2 million. I was like, nah. But I was like, oh, wait. Turning Point USA, $3.2 billion. Mm. Cry me a river, big head. Like, I get it, but... It's not like you didn't make any money off of getting shadow banned on Twitter. Yeah, I think so, you were still doing okay. He's got a, quite a nice, 
apparatus set up for himself. But, you know, the whole thing goes back to we want to hold these people accountable. But it seems like we've already been here before. Now, if you could just remember back well, in Twitter. What kind of privacy uh, privacy regulations were there at Twitter that people were reading your private messages? Like, what wasn't there something in their terms of service that, I mean, did it say, like, in our terms of service, it says we're going to read your messages. It's like, is that, was that really a thing? Let's be, I'm going to be, complete, I doubt it. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Besides the South Park episode, the human centipede. Yeah. You're the only person I know in my entire life that has ever read the terms of service ever. <laughs> yeah. That's, but that's a problem. I know. It's a problem. I know. And I, I just look for like the main, like, are you going to send my information to China stuff? But mostly. Now, when you say problem, is it more of a problem than, let's just say, my password methodology? Or is it on the same level? I'm not going to even answer that one because I don't want to give anybody any ideas. That's a hard yes. <laughs> Go, hitting, the oh, way, oh. hitting the way back machine, but taking it right back to current times. Let's hear Jack Dorsey when he was asked about the Banhammer department over at Twitter and what his answer was when he was under oath and before Congress. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices, and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. Mm. No? I don't know what Twitter is up to. It sure looks like to me that they're censoring people, and they ought to stop it. Uh, are you censoring people? No. Mm. Mm. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. It's bad. Is that true? No. So these were statements. Okay, for anyone that's listening. Is that Dorsey? That was Dorsey. Well, he's, he's playing the, I didn't know there was obviously people below me that were doing it. I, I had a yoga I'm class just, scheduled yeah, when, when was, shadow banning was going I on. I was having hot rocks put on my balls. Did you hear Representative Doyle from Pennsylvania in the worst way possible read Donald Trump <laughs> tweets? <laughs> it's like, can you at least try to do his voice a little bit? Like, yeah. come on, in the most monotone way ever. Looks like they're censoring conservatives. Bad. <laughs> yeah, that was awkward. There's only one person who talks like that. You know, it's it's like you could have just gone, looks like they're censoring conservatives. Bad. You guys are going to like this one and continue on the same narrative. Steak for breakfast enjoyer. Probably the second best dressed person I know besides Raheem Kassam. Heritage Foundation tech policy expert Jake Denton appeared on Newsmax this morning. Mm. War Room was so, I wasn't feeling it today that I flicked over to Newsmax to see what they had going on. And we didn't know it. Carl Higby had Jake Denton sitting right there in studio. And I was like texting, oh, my boy's looking handsome. We exchanged phone numbers. It was pretty great. Let's hear Jake weigh in on this little uh, narrative going on and pick up where he left off on our show last week. Now he goes before Congress, just like all of these Silicon Valley guys, and they tell you this sob story about how, you know, they're just being framed as evil from the right. And, right. you know, they would never in a million years uh, target you based off of political affiliation. Yeah. But you look at the story that uh, Barry Weiss puts out. They have a full interface where it says, you know, you're not allowed on the trending page. Right. It's color coordinated. It's almost comical, right? Like they went out of their way to make it as easy as possible for these basically sociology professors to go through and flag uh, you know, hate speech and right. hurtful content. So when I asked him, or I, I, I complimented him and said he was the second best dressed person I know besides Raheem Kassam. Because I mean, listen, for our, for our audience that, you know, we're audio only. We've told Jake 
several times. And and our our guests that are regular guests on Steak for Breakfast, they take advantage of it. Cash Patel comes on the show in his freaking pajamas. Max Miller just got out of committee meeting earlier in the show. He changed into street clothes and, mm-hmm. and was sitting down in a, it looked like a hotel room up there in uh, Washington, D.C. These people know, like, you know, you're going to come on Steak for Breakfast. We're going to have a comfortable atmosphere. We're going to have some great content, but you don't have to get dressed up. Uh, we've seen, you yeah, know, we just have the video on for us just to be polite. Yeah. You know, we've seen people who are political candidates, like as soon as we remind them or reassure them that it's not video, take off their ties, roll up their sleeves. There was one time Robbie Starbuck went and changed his shirt, you know, and, and it's just the way it is. So when I said he was the second best dressed person, I said, you know, he's got you beat in the ascot department mm-hmm. and, and Jake said, would I be at least close to number one if I had the English accent? Because I would kill it with an English accent. I said, <laughs> that, that's pretty good and up for debate there. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he's he's basically reaffirming off of the commentary that Jack Dorsey provided up on Capitol Hill in 2018 that, I mean, he basically under oath testified to Congress that this stuff was just not going on. And I don't, I don't really believe it. I, I don't believe that there was so much going going on underneath the, the surface that he didn't know about. I just think it's the plausible deniability that he's uh, he's just using that, I think. I mean, I think he had a, a, a very good idea of what was going on, and I, I don't believe it. Yeah, it's it's gotten to the point right now to where w- what do you do besides put all these people under investigation, put them all back under oath, and... Uh, you know, in James Baker's case, hope he doesn't lie again because you'd be seeing some potentially steep fines, penalties, and even jail time for uh, going over two under oath up against Congress. Well, and then there's even reporting now that supposedly the FBI was sanitizing these these releases before they even came out. Like that sounds sketchy. Yeah, well, I mean, you had former FBI legal getting fired and then going over to Twitter, and then before. You know, they're they're dropping all these shadow bans and, and content repression and, and eliminating accounts on Twitter. He's shooting it over. Are you sure I got everybody? Yeah. Before, before I press the button yeah. and give him the tab. Um, no mulligans. Believe it or not, fire up the garrison button. Mm. Yeah. This went up to uh, the White House press pool, and KJP was asked about it. I'm pretty sure you won't be surprised what her answer or non-answer was like, let's hear it. On Twitter, Corrine, um, the, the, the Twitter files have released that the company um, typically required an official or law enforcement finding that materials were hacked in order to exercise their company policy to restrict certain stories or reporting. Um, and the journalist who released the material noted that in this case, around the Hunter Biden laptop story, there was no uh, official or law enforcement finding that appeared in the material that he was given. Um, so my question to you is, did anyone from the Biden team communicate to, to Twitter that this material was um, was from, ha- or this reporting stemmed from hacked materials? Are you talking about the, the campaign? It would have been the campaign or anyone around the family. Just wondering because the, in the Twitter files release and what Matt Taibbi said, he noted that typically the company would require a law enforcement or official finding that something was hacked in order to exercise their hacked materials clause and that they didn't he didn't see that in what had been given to him. So wondering if it was communicated even informally by someone around 
uh, the president or the president's family or the campaign that this was hacked material or could have come from hacked material, given that um, there was so much concern, uh, especially after the uh, 2018 foreign interference uh, situation, that that could be something that we would see in, the, in that election. So I'm wondering if there, there was that communication there surrounding the Hunter Biden laptop story. So I can't speak to decisions made uh, by uh, by the campaign from here. That is not. It, it is a political uh, uh, campaign, so I can't speak from that from here to that from here. I'm oh. covered by the Hatch Act, and so I'm just not going to comment oh. on, on the question that you're asking me. But what I can say more broadly is, of course, uh, it's up to these companies uh, to make their own decision about the content on their platforms oh. and to ensure hmm. content follows uh, their own standards and policies. But I'm just not going to uh, comment on oh. a decision that was made. So I was going to say while the the press pool person was winding up that that uh, question i was gonna be like let me guess she's gonna say that she can't speak to it because it's an investigation hatch act yada 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 yeah okay surprise when donald trump says the constitution has been violated to the extent that we need to re-examine whether or not it was even applicable during the 2020 presidential election Mm -hmm. you have everybody from joe biden and kjp to werther's original enjoyer mitch mcconnell suspend the constitution you know, someone that uh, says they can't uphold the Constitution can't be sworn in as president. And then you have her saying, like, okay, it's, it's, you know what? First Amendment, let's just, it's up to Twitter to determine what, what the, your First Amendment yeah, rights are. How they inter- so she said she couldn't talk about it. And I don't know if you saw it yesterday. She wound up picking up her binder and storming out of the press pool because they all wouldn't let her get off of it. But before it got out of control, Peter Ducey was going to hit her with a follow-up question, (laughs) which she thought was about Brittany Grimer, which nobody cares about, uh, but circled back to the Hunter Biden laptop repression. I'm surprised she calls on him. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've said a few times that you really can't talk about communications between the Biden campaign and Twitter. Who is telling you that that's off limits? I've already had that conversation with you, with your colleague, I believe, yesterday. Uh, I've, I've already addressed this multiple times this week, so I don't have anything more to add. But I want to hear you uh, say again, it. Again, we've, we've, we've litigated this uh, all week. Don't What's have that? anything to add. So not a I'm going to the back. I'm going to the back. I'm going to the back. And that's when it went off the rails, and she literally was just like, I can't do this. Slams the binder out the door. Professional. Very professional. And you want to know what? And that, and that speaks volumes it sure does and that's why i'm glad we've got alina haba coming up because we're going to be able to touch on uh you know some of these issues from a legal standpoint uh with her because we know this is all things concerning allegations that donald trump has made over the years has been proven right about before we get to that jim jordan who we didn't hear on boomer sweats jumped on with mark levine last night and definitely wanted to touch on where the judiciary side of the house is going to be investigating uh this laptop and Hunter Biden's connections to Joe Biden's business dealing once we get past the third of the year. Let's check it out. So, uh, Kevin McCarthy told you that when you're chairman of the Judiciary Committee, you are free to pursue these investigations <laughs> as you see fit. He sure has. And, and I'll tell you what, one thing, too. So a couple of weeks ago, our, our good friend and colleague, uh, Jamie Comer, called a press conference where he talked about he wants to see these 150 suspicious activity reports on Hunter Biden. Here's what we're going to do. And literally after that meeting, Leader McCarthy puts out a tweet and says, we're going to get this stuff done because the American people deserve the truth. And the first step in stopping this garbage from happening in the future with the DOJ and other places, the first step is always 
to expose it, and that is part of our duty. We have never had a leader who took that kind of aggressive position on making sure the country gets the facts on important matters like what happened with the Biden business operation. And that's the thing. We, we heard from Max Miller over the course of the midterm election campaign, his disdain for Kevin McCarthy being the Speaker of the House. Now that he's won election, he's gone up into the beltway, he's made it through orientation. What he wants to do now is get to work. I mean, obviously, when you were listening to him talk today, guys, it, it pretty much sounded like that was number one on his slate, right? Get to work. Mm-hmm. He already got the leadership position in the freshman class. He's got the best damn office. Congress has to offer, and he wants to get to work. So a lot of smoke and mirrors. We'll take it past signal and noise. What, what would be past that, Noah? Past signal and noise? Past signal, not noise. Signal. Yeah. And a promo code apparatus. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do, we, we do understand that, you know, moving forward, there are a lot of people that are just – chomping at the bit to get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff. The last two years seems like it has taken forever. And on the other side of January 3rd, it looks like we might have a little bit of reprisal uh, when people who are actually focused on working for the American people. That'll be a new thing. That'll be nice. That'll be refreshing. And showing how hard this current regime has not worked for the American people. Um, In case you missed it. Yeah, in case you missed it. And listen, Noah, I'm not going to talk about it. We've already... Tried to litigate over the course of the last two years. I can't speak to that. <laughs> what? Where? Is she going to go to MSNBC or is she going to go to CNN? Mm. CNN's ratings are plummeting. I don't. I don't know. We almost have more downloads than they have daily viewers. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It certainly is. But the fact of the matter is, uh, we're going to analyze some of this and an absolute slew of Trump nothing burgers that have come out since his presidential kickoff party. Uh, with with top Trump attorney Alina Habas, so we're going to bring her up right now. All right, joining us next on the show today, she's one of our favorite lawyers. Joining us again after uh, what I like to consider a little too much time away, Miss Alina Habas. Thanks for coming back on Steak for Breakfast. <laughs> thanks for having me. It was too long, wasn't it? Yeah, it certainly <laughs> was. How's everything going on your end? I can only assume that since the the Trump presidential kickoff party, everything has been completely boring. There's been no news, nothing new, and uh, you are looking for something to do. So here you are on Steak for Breakfast today. Am I yeah, happy? exactly. I mean, they basically all lawsuits got dropped. <laughs> they laid off of him, and I'm up for hire. <laughs> no, it got worse. It got crazier. I think... You know, you never know how it's going to go. And when he announced, um, he didn't announce for any other reason than, you know, his interest in in fixing this country. But I always wondered, you know, like, are they going to lay off or are they going to come at him harder? I think we got the answer to that pretty clearly. (laughs) They have definitely not laid off. So I'm very busy. Yeah, it took about 48 hours for uh, current U.S. Attorney General Merrill Garland to to, uh, assign a special counsel to look into... uh, Trump-related probes, which kind of doesn't really sound like anything to me. Uh, it does probably someone who has a little bit more legal prowess than I do. You, uh, what are you seeing when you see something like that? Just another case of let's keep Donald Trump's name negatively in the news cycle so we could just remind everybody, orange man bad, and just stick on that narrative. Right, exactly, orange man bad. Um, they, well, so this guy, right, he's, he's a complete corrupt. No, I shouldn't say corrupt. That's, a, that's the wrong word. Let's not get sued today. He's he's a left, um, strong, as you would expect, 
person whose wife, as we know, um, you know, Jack's, he, his wife was the producer or something, and she was involved in Michelle Obama's documentary. Um, you know, Soros handlings in his family, I think he said mother-in-law, they are exactly what you would expect, right? So the Biden administration says, oh, let's get, look, Merrick Garland kind of had, had some heat with the Mar-a-Lago raid. Yep. So let's put somebody else in place, make it look like we're being impartial, in quotes, and uh, let's find the least impartial human being we could possibly find and slap him on this and call him a special master, or special counsel, rather, and we'll pretend that we're going to do this in good faith. Um it's kind of par for the course. Unfortunately, we expected it. They used the campaign and him running for the for office as a reason to now have a third party involved. Um, really, it's 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 a way to shield Merrick Garland. You yeah. know, that then he's not really involved directly. He can use this guy as his front man. Um, and you know, here we are, another day in paradise. No, you uh, you make a whole lot of sense there. I mean. It, all things do kind of connect back to Russiagate. We saw everything from the appointment of the special counsel all the way over to the stuff we're learning from Twitter this week. Obviously, it didn't surprise you. It doesn't surprise any of us on the show. Was it surprising from a legal standpoint, though, to see how deep the connections went? Like current congressmen and congresswomen, uh, people at the FBI or the DOJ could just use their regular government or work emails to just send executives to Twitter or said, hey, we don't like this account. Let's ban it. Let's uh, shadow ban these people so no one ever sees them or anything like that. And let's just crank it down so we kill this message. Did, did the how much they didn't care and think they never got caught surprise you at all? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to surprise me now. I, you know, it is hard to surprise me now. Uh, and I, as you know, I filed the suit against um, Hillary Clinton, the Clinton campaign, the yep. FBI. The DM, I mean, I did that big suit in Florida and I'm now sanctioned for uh, how dare I file a lawsuit against <laughs> all of these people. I mean, you know, they try and freak you out. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not really effective. Quite honestly, it just emboldens people. So what happened is, you know, they hired and I, I went to the Durham trial back when Sussman was was um, was being charged. And the head of the FBI at the time during Sussman and the Hillary Clinton uh, Russia hoax, Russia gate conspiracy thing. Let's call it a thing because some judges won't recognize that it was actually based in fact in indictments. He gets a job with the help of a attorney from Perkins Coie at Twitter after being involved in the Russia gate goes to Twitter and then is helping the DNC flag tweets. I mean, it's call it, you know, censorship at its best. And we all knew there was censorship. We all knew there was shadow banning. But I think seeing the reckless disregard for the American people's right, you know, for free speech, but also not to have censored information. Um, it's third world, you know, it's third world country stuff. That That's really all it is. And it's, it's a sad day. The more I see it, the more I'll say this one surprised me a lot. And, and I didn't think it was as bad as it is. Yeah, neither did I. I mean, I thought they would at least be, at, you know, taking a play out of the Hillary Clinton playbook and using secret servers or, uh, <laughs> you know, the Xbox chat rooms, anything discord, just have a little bit of creativeness guys. No fbi.gov to twitter.com and it's just like wow it's just like okay you're not even gonna I you know what i hope the facebooks and the instagram are the same company right but i hope all of that the whatsapps all of those people i hope that they take a real hard look at what's going on because i don't think anybody is impermeable no. i think that eventually the truth comes out um and 
I think it'll it'll run its course with every social media and social platform. And this country relies on it tremendously. I mean, if you look at what's happening with TV networks, CNN and, and MSNBC, they don't have enough. You know, some nights you've got Newsmax beating them um, at rallies and other things. That says a lot. Uh, and, and you know, look at what's happening with Fox News. You know, I'm not I'm not proud of what's going on there either. You know, we, we've got a ton of censorship, a ton of people at the top thinking that they're going to shift and move the country in the direction that they want for their own political ambitions. And that's that's just really not what journalism is. That's not what social media speech, free speech is supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, when CNN's barely got 500,000 people watching their network on a daily basis, like, you got to understand if you continue to spin the narrative when everybody already knows what's really going on, you're just going to kind of become disinteresting to the public and are eventually going to walk away. They already have in droves from a lot of those legacy media outlets. But uh, like you said, the stuff that goes on at Fox News, too, the way they try to spin it, and we all know how, who's spinning it. It's obviously Paul Ryan and friends there, but it's it's just not going to bode well for them, and, and they need to realize you know, probably sooner rather than later, if they want to stay involved in, in being in the media and, and they want to be relevant, they better at least find a middle ground than where they're at right now. Lena, I did see this week in, uh, well, this week's edition of Trump is finished. I, all the headlines came out Tuesday, Trump this, Trump that, tax fraud. Like we saw it break on the show. We kind of read down, you get to like the fourth or fifth paragraph and it says like someone who worked within the Trump administration committed tax fraud on a personal basis, but that's not what the headlines kind of say. Very reckless and, and, and definitely mis-messaging, but it's just kind of what the news cycle does to kind of keep Donald Trump's name out there. Everybody wants to say he's irrelevant and America First is finished, but they're so terrified of him gaining any kind of collective steam. Uh, in their eyes, they continue to do negative things like that. When you saw the ruling came out, I mean, it was pretty much obviously not a surprise to you how they spun it, but what's the uh, actuality there with the employee who obviously no longer works for the Trump organization? Uh, first of all, I know Alan Weisselberg. Um, I, I've, he's actually a very good man. Um, and uh, it, it, what happened there was, as he said, and this is Alan's words himself from the stand, you know, he got greedy. He made personal mistakes. Um, I'm not sure how the organization could or should have known what somebody was doing on their personal returns. Look, I own a business. I've owned a business since 2013. I've never, you know, I haven't worked for another firm since then. And I can tell you that I don't ask my, nor would I, nor could I ask my employees and my attorneys that work for me to show me their personal return after they get paid as a W-2 employee. Um, Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. He admitted those mistakes. He pled, he had a deal. But what actually happened here, which is important to understand, which is so scary in my profession, and and uh, I don't do criminal law, thank God, but, <laughs> you know, what they did was they pressured him. So they came into this guy. He's in his 70s. Um, he's a good man, and he served the company well for a long time, but he made mistakes. He owned up to them. And then they said, look, you can get five years if you don't testify against the organization, or you can get five months if you do. Um, and there were public arguments on this and they said, you know, you're putting the weight of the organization on this one person's shoulders for what the guy didn't report a company car, um, you know, and, you know, Donald Trump paid the kids tuition. It was written and booked by the company. There was no hiding by Donald Trump or his organization on that because he was a good man. It was not any kind of fraudulent thing. Now, what happened was the guy did stuff on his personal returns, right? 
But somehow they try and hold it, you know, they take it up to the top because he's a political figure. Right. And anything with the Trump Corporation, this wasn't even the entire organization involved, they're going to try and take down. Um, it's really crazy. I mean, you know, they'll do that. They come after everybody in the or in his orbit, to use Letitia James's words. Uh, but Alan was, he owned what he did. He's going to serve time for what he did. I've never seen anybody serve time for a tax fringe benefit. You know, usually the IRS will come to you and they'll say, you screwed around. You screwed us out of $100,000. Let's cut you a deal, but pay it today. Here's 75 grand. Okay, thank you very much. We move our separate ways. Mm -hmm. That's not what happened because he was the CFO of the Trump organization. Yep. Um, you know, dual system of justice. What do you want, what do you expect me to say? It's it's a sad thing. No, oh, it certainly is. And when we've seen so many people that are directly connected to President Trump, I mean, we had Paul Manafort on the show a couple of weeks ago. I mean, obviously, you've seen stuff with. Uh, Steve Bannon, Dr. Navarro is a regular guest on the show as well. And they just talk about, you know, the lawfare, the way that people want to just, you know, in the Justice Department ruin their life for the sole fact of tying it to Donald Trump and uh, how behind the scenes it's, it, it's a really hard thing. Like you said, he was a good guy. He served the Trump organization well for a number of years, and they just kind of spun it as like, okay, this is another case if Trump is finished. So, but I mean, you know, life goes on and everybody kind of moves on from it, but they like to just, uh, you know, hang their hat on the news cycle for at least one night. And, and that's kind of all they achieved out of this whole thing. Yeah. yeah, but life moves on. But let's not forget, this is a human being. You know, this is a 70 year old, you know, grandfather who's now going to Rikers for Christ's sake. That's I mean, that's not acceptable to me. No, there's, you know, we've got criminals. We've got real issues going on in this country. And we have a president who won't go see the border. You know, what are we doing here? Where are our priorities? And unfortunately, it, it's Trump. It's a priority because they're not winning. And I don't care if we had a red wave or we didn't, whatever the heck you want to call it. People he endorses won. Yep. And he, you know, the percentages were still really high. So until that stops, they won't stop. And honestly, the more, like you said in the beginning, right, they wouldn't be attacking him this hard if they weren't afraid of him. Yeah, if Donald so. Trump was really irrelevant as a political figure, they would just romanticize him whatever candidate they wanted to run, you know, let's just say against him, and then they wouldn't even cover him. But because they have to keep his name in the cycle, you see the biggest guns literally our country has to offer. You have Joe Biden coming out talking about it on a regular basis, the White House press secretary coming out on a regular basis and talking about it, the U.S. Department of Justice, the Attorney General of the United States coming out and consistently doing stuff, raiding his home, appointing special counsels, and then all the stuff that goes on at the FBI, which uh, I, I think— if we could talk about something good for a second, after the third of the year, there is a lot of good incoming Congress people in the uh, House of Representatives who are going to be looking to provide major oversight and uh, judiciary investigations into everything related to the Biden administration. Do you guys see some some possible wins coming out of that? It looks like some of the people, you know, obviously Jim Comer, Jim Jordan. Uh, we just talked with Max Miller, who's going to be in freshman leadership and uh, involved in some of the committees as well, really looking to figure out not only some of the problems that Joe Biden has caused for this, you know, lack of energy independence, the border, uh, a whole bunch of things regarding geopolitical relations. We saw the the prisoner exchange yesterday, something Donald Trump actually I was surprised to see John Bolton come out and say John, Donald Trump turned down a similar offer for the same character. And then Joe Biden goes and does it while leaving the U.S. Marines still to remain in Russian prison. But we're going to be getting to the bottom of a lot of stuff. Is, is it making you feel good that we'll probably see some uh, head start to roll after the third of the year? I think so. I, th I think that, look, the House Oversight Committee is already talking about uh, investigating Hunter Biden finally yep. and and taking care of some unfinished business that they just frankly couldn't do while Pelosi and Schumer were were, you know, running the show over there. So 
Um, I think that that we're finally going to get some headway. I think that it's going to be difficult. Um, but I, like what Elon Musk has done, it's been instrumental in just opening people's eyes. Um, I don't think the Hunter Biden thing is going to be difficult at all, to be honest. I think we have enough enough evidence there already. Uh, I know most certainly if that was any Trump child, they would already be behind jails waiting, sure. you know, and it wouldn't even have to hit January 3rd. <laughs> Look what they did to Don Jr. for Christ's sake. Yep. They tried to, you know, put him through, uh, 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 they did put him through a tremendous amount in Washington and all the Trump kids. Um, let's just, it's time to balance the field, but it's not like a vindictive balance. Let's just do what we're supposed to do. Let's punish political figures who take money from China. Let's punish the people that are actually doing what they're not supposed to do. I don't want to go in and say, and I'm not that person. I don't go in and say, okay, we had enough Trump time. Now we're going to come hit the Biden side. I don't think that's American either. Right. I think that our country needs to stop doing all of that. I think it's toddler behavior. I think we need to start acting the way we are supposed to act which is a civilized nation with laws and regulations and rules and a democracy and a republic. Let's act like it. So it's not about what side you're on. It's about did you break the law and how bad? And somebody like Weisselberg shouldn't be going to Rikers while Hunter Biden's walking around free. That's the stuff I'm talking about. But I also don't want to see them come out and act like the Democrats, quite honestly. I hope that our side can start to really be strong, but be, be uh, civilized. I think we need more of that in this country. It's what everybody's missing right now. Yeah, I mean, there's some definitely, like you said, things that need to get investigated and, and to the bottom of, things we haven't been able to do under, you know, complete Democrat control. But if they just go full, like, let's flip the January 6th committee and, and now we'll act like they did. We know none, it's a yeah. huge nothing burger, but we're going to put it in primetime television. We're going to get an ABC producer to, uh, you know, do all the lights and intro and outro songs. And we're going to make the American people believe this is what it's like on the other side of the aisle, too. I, I agree with you there. I don't think any stuff like that should happen. There's, like... Alejandro Mayorkas, Merrick Garland, they definitely need to be under the microscope. Obviously, the Bidens and all the stuff that they did both on and off the books when he was a private citizen and as a vice president, 100% needs to be looked into. But, you know, going tit for tat with just congressperson versus congressperson like we have for the last two years since Donald Trump left office doesn't do anything for the country and doesn't offer any, uh, you know, solutions to America first. Alina, this has been great sitting down with you again today. Uh, you provide a lot of information for our audience. I I'm glad you unpacked a lot of it for us. And, uh, for anyone that's not following you across social media, we'd like to uh, live link it in the show description today. So where can we find you? I'm, 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 I'm a very minimal social media. I'm, everything is my name, Alina Haba, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Truth Social, of course. I'm most active on Truth. Um, but uh, yeah, Alina Haba, my, me, my name, A-L-I-N-A-H-A-B-B-A. Just told me. <laughs> Well, we wish you the very merriest of Christmas and happy holidays, and uh, we'll be looking to have you back on after the first of the year. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. You're here to make a significant announcement. I've registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. So your voting record is pretty capital D Democratic. I mean, your views are generally that of a moderate centrist Democrat. How does leaving the party change how you do your job? Well, I don't think anything will change about how I do my job. Um, 
Arizonans sent me to the United States Senate to be an independent voice for our state, and I'll continue doing that. That was the artist formerly known as Democrat Senator Kristen Sinema mm. from the state of Arizona yesterday sitting down with fake news Jake Tapper to talk about... It's a bold move, Cotton. So, scoreboard, the Democrats spent, let's just say, hundreds of millions of dollars in the 2022 midterm elections to only lose one incumbent seat in the Senate. Took the lead 51-49 after Raphael Warnock defeated Herschel Walker on Tuesday, only to have Kristen Sinema be fed up with her own party. She says both parties, but you don't leave the Democrat Party if you're fed up with both parties. You Mm -mm. just kind of be an angry Democrat. Yeah. To become another, now we'll have three independent senators. And this is could lead to somewhere because she thinks that none of her committee positions are going to change after the new year. And uh, I don't know if Senate Majority Leader Schumer is going to be key to keep her on those committees based off of her decision yesterday. It's interesting. It certainly is. Uh, I don't think Mitch McConnell cares enough to court her, but it's always interesting when you look at, you know, she does vote pretty much as a moderate Democrat. She will side with Republicans when she feels like they're right. She is a filibuster appreciator. She's not for eliminating the filibuster, which is more of a you know Republican talking point than most. She's also not for packing the court at the Supreme levels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, her and Joe Manchin are usually just the people that we have to whip when it's uh, when the Senate is this close and America last legislation is coming on through. So there's been rumor and speculations that Joe Manchin has considered jumping over to the Republican Party over the years. I don't think he's really there anymore. Uh, but when you look at the reelection map, a clear-cut three-way race in Arizona for a Senate seat almost ensures a Democrat loss. Um, I think if that was the case this cycle, both Blake Masters and Jim Lehman would have defeated her. And we'll have to see moving forward as the... Uh, I think the Democrats have 23 seats to defend in the 2024 election cycle. So it's not going to be as easy as it was this time. Yeah, her going independent is going to going to confuse the just down ticket voters that, you know, the, I'm just looking for the D. Yeah. So it's going to be uh, it, it was pretty interesting to see that break yesterday afternoon. And, and I kind of did my research over overnight. I wouldn't say the Democrats are comfortably in control now. Uh, but she's definitely sending a message. I'm just trying to figure out what that message is right now because... Or maybe just self-preservation. Well, well, in the Senate, yes, but electability in the state of Arizona, her being an independent and running as one there allows for an actual Democrat to get into the race, which would make the general election ticket a three-way race. Mm-hmm. Obviously... It's good for us. Yeah, cinema enjoyers are going to split with the Democrats and, and could lead to a Republican flip there, which was one we thought would be more of a head to head matchup Would Blake masters run again would Jim Lehman run again. Uh, would, you know, an up and coming in the state who a lot of people like Gallegos run in that race. So we'll have to see getting into some of the things the Senate's going to be looking in and what we touched on a little bit here and there throughout the course of the show already is the absolute disaster on the Southern border. Oof. We are now, 12 days away 
from the lifting of Title 42, which should cause an influx the likes we've never seen. Um, yeah, it's about to get dirty down there. The like, bo- just dirty. Like, it's going to be wild. It's going to be the Wild West. It's going to be... Uh, well, what are all the, what were those videos from uh, the the migrant caravans in the past? Yep, when they had like all the California Border Patrol people or customs and whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, like basically wearing riot gear, standing standing out there, just like th- those people are going to be busy, to say the least. And I think um, I think the Border Patrol chief over the course of the last week or so, has said places like the Rio Grande sector, which are already completely overran, are going to see the likes of 20,000 migrants a day. And when we look at what that means in the grand scheme of things is when they're overrun and all those agents are doing jobs that they're not supposed to be doing instead of their actual jobs, It's we're looking at the cartel making money hand over fist still. But then on top of that, I mean, at some of those un, unprotected sectors of the border, I mean, they could just have like a Buick Regal just loaded up with drugs up to the freaking hilt and just drive through the desert. We'll touch on something similar to that towards the end of the segment. That's a 4 by 4 Buick Regal, of course. There you go. There's only 4 by 4 Buick Regals. <laughs> Let's hear Tucker Carlson weigh in on the... Uh, invasion on our southern border and what the real play here is well there's only one reason because the democratic party wants new voters period yeah that's not a racist conspiracy it's a racist no it's not (laughs) it's true and we know that it's true not because we heard on alex jones but because leading democrats have said so repeatedly in public for years and here's the latest example here is chuck schumer the head democrat in the u.s senate last month Now more than ever, we're short of workers. Uh, We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers and all of them, because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers, but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented are here. Everything about that was a lie. We need workers, really. There are, what, 7 million American-born men who have dropped out of the workforce? Workforce age who just aren't working or on the Internet all day? Does anyone care? No. Just replace them. Americans aren't reproducing. Really? Why? Well, because the economy has changed. And what's their answer to that, the Democratic Party's answer? Well, the Treasury Secretary told us a month and a half ago, she said, if you're worried about the economy, have an abortion. Yep. Hmm. People who want to have kids increasingly can't. Why is that? Well, because the food supply and the air and water have been poisoned and sperm counts are half what they were a few decades ago. Mm. So these are specific problems that have prevented millions of Americans from having families, from reproducing, as Chuck Schumer just said. And you could fix them if you tried, but they're not trying. Instead, the solution is to replace the people who aren't reproducing with millions of new people He's from other place. countries. That's place. not a racist conspiracy theory. Chuck Schumer just said it. However many undocumented there are here, Schumer added. Mm. And we all know that that number is uh, Lies. astronomical. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers that they purport it to be. He said 11 million. Those no. are 90s numbers. Yeah, those, those, are 90, those are 90s numbers underestimated in the 90s probably. 
Exactly. Wild. Spoiler alert, it's north of 30. Yeah. You want to include the DACA? Oof. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's getting kind of ugly. Just yeah. like Joe Biden's lack of appearance on the southern border. Since- that was just ridiculous that he said there's more pre- what what do you say there's more important things hey listen there's a 200 million dollar chinese chip manufacturing company not chalky chalky chip chinese chip manufacturing company opening up in maricopa and uh current democrat house rep debbie dingle seriously that's her name i thought you were going to garrison <laughs> me for that one let me try it again <laughs> Current Democrat House Rep, Debbie Dingle, there you go, uh, jumped on the news the other day to talk about the importance of Joe Biden's non-visit to the U.S. southern border. Let's hear her live for the uh, first basement dweller. To see him visit the border? I don't care if he visits the border or not. That doesn't. He doesn't need to visit the border to know we've got a problem. He's got people that report to him every day about what the problem is. And sometimes we fixate on these little issues. Do you think the president doesn't know we got a problem at the border and what the issues are? Wait, wait, that, I know he does. But, but not necessary to see it firsthand. That's a little issue? I, I, I think he knows it's got to be addressed. He's gotten the reports. He's seen the photos. So that's, I, I mean, I... At some point, he may or may not go, but I think he knows what's got to get fixed, and you've seen him begin that process. Oh, scissor me timbers. Ridiculous. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, how are you just going to pop smoke for this guy and just try to just obfuscate the fact that he's not doing his job as a president? Because he's running for president again. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's why. Hey, he's seen the photos. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be horrible if he went for him. Yeah. Because it would be like, oh, you don't like, do you think it would just be the perfect storm? Like, he would show up, he would be, uh, you know, walking along some portion of the southern border with a hard hat on, bomber jacket and bomber uh, jacket, gray bands, his freaking cop glasses and an ice cream cone. And there would just be, like, people throwing bales of drugs over the fence and, like, driving cars through the desert. And As he steps Turbo over boosting over the fence. Like, it would just be, it would be like uh, those funny t-shirts with, like, Trump riding an eagle, except it would be the, the worst of the worst things happening for him. As he steps over the body of a dead migrant. Oh, I thought you were going to say Border Patrol agent. We're going to get to that, and you keep teasing it. Amnesty's on deck. That's already confirmed. The Schumer... Tillis deal that they're trying to whip up in the Senate while this country literally burns to the ground. You have two of the most prominent figures in the Senate, longest standing members in the Senate working on giving out more free shit than you can imagine to the people who have come here illegally and help tank the economy, ruin the value of the dollar and destroy the middle class just for the sole facts of potential voters down the road. The next wave that's coming in right behind them is the DACA recipients. And those people are going to get that pathway to amnesty so all of the millions that have come in since the start of the Biden administration can be a grift down the road apiece. Just since 2021, trying to put this in perspective, somewhere probably around 1.5 million unaccompanied children have come into this country. How many did we lose? Wow. Thousands. Yeah. Tens of thousands. Possibly hundreds of thousands. If Project Veritas continues to do the job that they're doing right now and exposing all this, I'm pretty sure we'll be at least over 100,000. You have no idea where they went. And the general public still doesn't understand that. So I posted something on an Instagram story, okay. and I got one of my frequent visitors. 
I just can't scroll past this. I can't believe you would say that POTUS is trafficking children. And I'm like, I'm not saying that the president is putting up Craigslist ads selling children. I'm saying that the actual text of what I posted is true, that DHS is by accident or just by negligence actually turning children over to trafficking organizations, traffickers, sex traffickers, human traffickers, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I was like, you can't argue with it. And we went, we went back and forth for a little bit. And then I was like, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? He hadn't heard about any of the shit that was actually relevant to the, to the conversation. He was just crying out in agony over me, you know, shitting on Biden. But it's like, this is what's happening. It's true. You can't, these NGOs are turning kids over to, quote unquote sponsors who are just claimants you can't prove that these people are even family units let alone whether or not like a child is is going to a cousin or oh you've seen some of these project veritas videos right when they it's insane i don't think the guy had seen him i posted like three of them and sent them to him and he it said seen (laughs) no response who do you live with four men how do you know them my aunt knows them you've never met them before no where's your dad work and it's just like no, Mm-mm. something's awful here. No, and and this is all being facilitated by our government, whether they want to admit it or are you know in the know about it or not. And this is one of the biggest travesties of uh, abuse of humans and children in the history of our planet. Well, and it's the and it's the the policies too. It's I mean because I mean the reporting was that they're they're not allowed to hold the children for longer than like what twenty four hours or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. by that default, okay, so we don't want to hold them for longer than 24 hours because then, you know, our hands are dirty. So we're going to turn them over to this NGO who they don't have the, the funding. They're, they're getting overwhelmed by the sheer numbers. They're literally like Ubers for humans. Yeah, so we're just going to give them to whoever shows up. It's like, hey, you, you, you want this one? It, it's, like a, it's like a pet adoption except worse and scarier because it's human beings. Steak for breakfast, enjoyer, circling back after the third of the year, current Texas Congresswoman-elect Monica De La Cruz was quick to put a rebuttal to the Schumer-Tillis amnesty proposition here and wanted to talk about one of the real problems that we're covering right now uh, when we get into the nitty-gritty here down of the real dark side of what's going on down on the southern border. Let's hear the Congresswoman-elect. We can all agree that there is a crisis on our border that needs immediate attention. And the media has covered that. But what the media doesn't hear are the stories that Border Patrol families are telling us. And those stories include things such as brave men and women who wake up extra early and they make extra sandwiches so that when they find an abandoned child on a farmland left by the cartel that is hungry, they have food to give them. They hold granola bars in the back of their truck so that they're able to give them a bite to eat. When some of these children have been with cartel members and coyotes and haven't eaten for days. You don't hear the stories of the border patrol men who are delivering babies in the harsh brushland of Texas. All of this takes a toll on our brave men and women 
who are defending our nation's borders. Mm. We've covered an extent of suicide rates. Three men in the last few weeks from the same sector down in the Rio Grande Valley have committed suicide. Wow. It's, it's terrible. It's it's bad. It's it's at levels we've never seen before. And, and the human toll of just being abused, and I'm talking about the people who protect our borders, not, not just the ones that are illegally crossing it, is really starting to weigh down uh, on these uh, men and women. And it, it's it's out of control. Well, and you can kind of, I mean, you can kind of understand how, how devastating it is to to have this job and then to not be able to to do the job. So yep. these guys have this gig, right? They probably have a family. They bought a house. They got a mortgage. They got car payments. They got kids in school. They have all these responsibilities, right? And they're barely juggling work and life as it is. Now you take into consideration that the job they got hired to do, they don't get to do anymore, which has got to be daunting mentally and stressing it to extreme degrees. So on top of that, you can't go get another job. You're already in a very well pay, or high paying job. Sure. Working for the government. So what are you going to do? You're going to go take a pay cut and go try to work for some other maybe shittier or better agency. But how, how can you afford to do that? Right. You're just stuck. These people are literally stuck. There's, there's nowhere else they can go there. Well, this is, this is what I do. I guess I'm just a, a juice box delivery guy now. Yep. And that's gotta be kind of, kind of a bummer. You know, it certainly is, Antoinette. And uh, Texas Congressman, House Representative Chip Roy was with um, Monica De La Cruz and, and, and a delegation of people who want to see this border secure now. You know, it's come out over the last 24 hours. Chip Roy is now leading a delegation of six other House representatives who are all going to switch their votes to no for Kevin McCarthy if he doesn't back up the words and put into writing the things he's looking to get into once the new Congress, the 118th, is sworn in after January 3rd. And that's going after Mayorkas, going after Garland, going after Joe Biden for the disaster that they've caused down there. Let's hear the House representative from Texas weigh in. I I just want to add, like, I've been around this topic for a long time, working for Senator Cornyn, working for Senator Cruz. Yep. What you just asked is what always happens in this town, right? People run to go do gangs of fill in the blank, to go cut some deals ahead of time. We need to restore regular order in this place and start with the the ways that we can actually solve the problem. This plan is brought forward to be, as Jody said, specific to border security, right? We know we need to deal with immigration issues, but we need to secure the border right now for the reasons that everybody just articulated. And we need to get y'all to get your head wrapped around that that our border is wide open and people are getting hurt. So we very specifically and very clearly laid out a border specific, a border security specific plan. And we're focusing on that for a reason. And it's, it's purposeful. It certainly is. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one of the things Kevin McCarthy doesn't like and doesn't want to get into is the whole government shutdown narrative. Because if House Republicans hold up appropriations for places like DHS, they know the Democrats are going to use that against them. And they don't have somebody like Donald Trump to be like, no, Chuck, no, Nancy. It's not about the border wall. It's that, that you don't want to keep Americans safe. That's why the government's shutting down. I want to make them safer. You're refusing to pay to make them safer. You're shutting the government down. There's nobody in Washington, D.C. right now that has that star power that Donald Trump did when they, I believe, had two shutdowns mm-hmm. uh, over the course of his presidency over appropriations for the border wall. And, you know, it's uh, it's kind of wrapping up here. 
And in our last audio clip of the week, I honestly wish I had something a little bit more cheerful. Mm. We, we've talked about it so much over the last few months. You know, a month ago, a uh, Customs and Border Patrol officer was killed in a shootout with narco smugglers off the coast of Puerto Rico as they were trying to bring drugs in the United States. And multiple others wounded. Three or four were wounded. Then you had the suicides that have been going on in the Rio Grande Valley sector where Border Patrol agents have been in such obscene conditions for the last several years that the cost of human toll and how it weighs on the human body, on how the soul, your well-being, has has led them to make that horrible decision. Just yesterday, believe it or not, in a high-speed chase with traffickers, another Border Patrol agent died. I saw it on Brett Baer's show yesterday, so I pulled the clip. Let's hear it. Bill. Brett, good evening to you. That's right. CBP confirms that a Border Patrol agent died here in the Rio Grande Valley early this morning after he crashed his ATV into a gate in the middle of the night while he was tracking down a group of illegal immigrants. And his death is now the latest headline in an ongoing border crisis that really shows no signs whatsoever of slowing down. Looks like they're about to bail. New dash cam video from Texas DPS shows illegal immigrants bailing out of a human smuggler's vehicle in Maverick County, Texas, after a pursuit with a lone Texas trooper. No se mueve. Manos Rivas, get out of the vehicle right now. The smuggler, a female U.S. citizen from San Antonio, was arrested by the trooper. Big boy, San Jose, so looks like it's about to bail out. In another Texas DPS pursuit in Stark County, a human smuggler pulls off the road and everyone bails out into the brush. Everyone except the man troopers found being smuggled in the trunk. Mm. President Biden was in Phoenix Tuesday, but declined to visit the Arizona border, telling Fox before his arrival that there are more important things going on. Had the president gone just hours south of Phoenix, he could have seen the fentanyl crisis in Nogales firsthand. This week, in another major bust, CBP officers at the port of entry seized 440,000 fentanyl pills hidden in the seats of a smuggler's vehicle. Some Democrats tell Fox Biden should take the border more seriously. Yeah. I think it's important for the administration to recognize it's a crisis. When you have a crisis in your country, you should deal with it. And that crisis continues in Eagle Pass, where Fox News witnessed a group of 200 migrants crossing illegally this morning. The Border Patrol chief reports in a 48-hour span this week, the border saw 14,000 migrant encounters. Oof. And Brett, that average is out to 7,000 migrant encounters per day right now. And believe it or not, that might pale in comparison to what we may see two weeks from now when Title 42 is set to drop. DHS's own most severe projections show they are planning for upwards of 18,000 illegal crossings per day once Title 42 drops. If that happens, that would reflect a nearly tripling of the current record-setting levels we're seeing right now. That's we'll send it back to you. Ridiculous. Bill Malugin, uh, great reporting. And again, that was Bill Malugin on, on Brett Baer's show yesterday. He wanted to call probably some House seats, maybe a Senate race in, in the 2024 presidential election, but due to the somber nature of the reporting from Bill Malugin held off, mm -hmm. as we know that Brett Baer is a uh, notorious race caller. It's just, it's so, like... Tiresome. The, the no, the the people that are that are committing these acts, they do not care about these people. It's we're, I mean, allowing this shit to happen is putting so many people in harm's way. Like, can you imagine? Like, it's got to be kind of scary just being in the trunk of a car, in general. 
And, oh, yeah. then, and then factor in like like going over speed bumps and a high speed pursuit. Going off road, going ninety miles an hour. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean we've heard it from so many people. We've had quite a few border experts come through this show, and and you know the level of consequence for the people who are committing these crimes is so minuscule, if anything. Um, it's just the things you don't see going on, the things you don't hear about on the news. I mean the the drive by headlines. The talking points are the border is open, everybody look at fentanyl, and record number of crossings. When the deep and darkness level of it is things that they'll make your stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. And uh, they it's aren't going away. It's frightening. Yeah, they aren't going away, and it looks like it's going to be getting a whole lot worse here in the next couple of weeks. So as we're wrapping up today, uh, we are going to switch because of connectivity. Social issues. And the degenerate path that this country is going on may be something that you see at, like, transvestite story hour, uh, the guy who just retired from the military who wore the uh, dog mask. I'm sure you saw that one yesterday. What what is that? Guy, Noah, come on. We got a four-star admiral. I I mean, I know what it is. dude in a dress. Does anything surprise you anymore? That's just so weird. But here's the thing. Some of our biggest major... Uh, universities in America are facilitating this mentality and incorporating them to basically every facet of your life, starting with the big places, Wall Street, Hollywood, and the government. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, all the way down to places like your children's schools. And we've had a pretty good track record with the Daily Caller, so let's see if we could go 3-0. and Joining us next on the show today, he's a news editor at The Daily Caller. He comes highly recommended from some of his coworker counterparts who are regular guests on our show. Joining us for the first time, G.S. Quay, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Yeah, no problem. So, welcome to the show. Uh, we've heard a lot about you. I've been reading up a little bit. You sent me a couple good links over the last few days that I uh, enjoyed thoroughly. And uh, by looking at your... Your Twitter wallpaper last night, I could tell that you're going to do just fine on the show. So how's everything going with you? Everything's going great, yeah, and I've gotten very good uh, very good feedback on the, the Twitter wallpaper of the uh, the six Giga Chads and the three Soy Jacks on the Supreme Court. So, <laughs> nice. like, I, like I said, I think you're going to be just fine. So, <laughs> all right, before we get into some of your work, which I want to talk about, there was two pieces that I really enjoyed reading, to be honest with you, and uh, I think they tie into a lot of stuff that's going on, some of the missing pieces which I think where, you know, your best writing comes from just across society today, whether it be social or politically, this news cycle has been out of control lately. We can't go more than a few hours without some groundbreaking, earth-shattering news from one corner of the globe to the other. How are you surviving, navigating through this as someone, you know, who does what you do for a living and uh, seeing this all unfold in real time? Well, I'll say I'm definitely on Twitter way too much. Uh, I'm not sure I'd necessarily... uh recommend my own lifestyle as a uh, successful strategy for the average person. Um, but this is what I do. I mean, it's where the, it's where the news happens. It's where discourse happens. So I'm there a lot of the time, you know, I'm, I'm basically, you know, wake up in the morning. It's like, all right, what did I miss while I was asleep? Um, but otherwise I just, I do try to schedule time away from my phone. Uh, if my wife and I are going somewhere where I know I won't need my phone, I try to leave it at home sometimes just, I find that makes me more present. It takes away the temptation. And I'd, I'd highly recommend that everyone try to do that occasionally. It, yeah, I feel naked. It's a great feeling. 
Yeah, it's like Noah said, feeling naked without your phone sometimes. I mean, yeah, you walk out the house and you're like patting your pockets, you're like, oh, I just feel weird. Especially when you're well, in the people news. talk about like, oh, they're going to put a microchip in your brain. It's like, why are you so worried about that? You're already three quarters of the way there. Like, I can tell you're twitching if you're away from your phone for five minutes. Yeah, just tape your phone to your head. It's the same thing. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. And, and that's literally kind of where we're at. We've seen so much stuff go on. I mean, just even over the last few months in the tech community, we see all the stuff with Elon Musk. And uh, does that surprise you? I mean, literally, we're just seeing the physical receipts, the actual names, internal emails and communications between like federal law enforcement, the Department of Justice, sitting Congress people on both sides of the aisle. And then, you know, big social media applications like Twitter, has anything that's come out in those last two discloses shocked you or does it just kind of confirm what we all have known? I think it confirms a lot of uh, long-held suspicions. It is really funny, as always, to see everybody on the left uh, do the classic, uh, it it never happened and it's good that it did, <laughs> shtick uh, that we're seeing a lot of. Um, you know, sh shadow banning never happened. And also, well, of course we were suppressing these accounts. They're dangerous, you know, alt-right uh Troll demons or whatever, right? Yeah. Can't wait till all the meme makers come back. It's going to be like... Wait, is that us? End of Avengers Endgame. You know what? <laughs> I, t I tell you what. Ever since he's opened stuff back up, it's been pretty easy living on Twitter. I couldn't imagine if it was like that for the last four years and, and prior 10 accounts that we had before we have this one. I like the, the <laughs> screen grabs of all the stuff that's been added to your account, like, you know, do not amplify and all that yeah. other stuff. I want to see what ours looks like. Oof. If anybody's listening from Twitter, send us a screenshot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Going woke to go broke is something that's become pretty common in society. Like, no one enjoys it more than probably the three of us when Disney or Warner Brothers or Marvel goes out and loses $100 million because they have a pretty good storyline built up along, you know, two dudes or girls kissing at some point throughout the movie, which they make like the centerpiece of this three-hour mm -hmm. violent extravaganza of, like, sci-fi you know, adventure, but that's not necessarily the case. Like we pretty much all do on the right. We're kind of behind the curve with all this. We celebrate when these companies fail and their shareholders go crazy and they lose hundreds of millions of dollars on investments, but it's what's happening throughout the business, the big tech and the entertainment sector right now. Mm -hmm. These kids that are coming out of college, I read that article you wrote about not so fast when it comes to go woke, go broke. One part really stuck out to me. I had to read it over and over again a couple of times. I'm going to read it right now. Woke students from the elite institutions don't suffer rude awakenings once they enter the real world. Instead, they become the real world, at least within their own elite circles. And in many institutions, they already have. And that kind of, you know, these are the new people who are shaping the way society will be for decades to come. And I think it's amazing that you have been able to single that down and point it out. It's, it's a huge red flag, and it's something I'd, I'd like you to elaborate on. Yeah, so I wrote this piece uh, after a New York Times article came out last week uh, reporting on stuff that's going on at uh, Harvard Business School and uh, the Wharton School of Business, of which uh, President Trump is a graduate. Um but they were talking about how these kids who uh, go to these business schools and, and are, you know, group being groomed for the upper echelons of, of finance and, and consulting uh, before they would study, uh, they would study case studies, right? It would just be this very hard nosed uh, business education, uh, very much informed by Milton Friedman and the idea of uh, shareholder equity and everything you do should be with the benefit of the shareholders. 
Now these business schools you're seeing are starting to go woke, which like you expect that in the humanities, right? Because you're kind of playing Calvin ball. It's like if you're if you're going to get your PhD and just write papers for the rest of your life, there's no objective metric to really hold you to account. As long as everyone else uh, believes you're bullshit, you're you can coast. Yeah. Um, but in business, there's a bottom line, right? There's real money involved here, so you would think that um, having a practical education would be somewhat important there. But it turns out that these kids are now studying ESG. They're um, doing a lot more of what I would call like cultural studies or cultural analysis, as opposed to case studies of actual businesses. Uh, they're reading Lenin, uh, <laughs> Vladimir, not John. Um, <laughs> and although I'm not sure which one would be worse actually. Right. And it's just this very strange thing. And the reason I wrote the piece is because my knee-jerk reaction was, oh, this this isn't sustainable, right? These guys are going to go out into the real world and they're going to get stomped by people who had the traditional business school education who know how to make some money and put up returns for the shareholders. And then I thought, well, wait, maybe not, because what's the point of this education? It's to get you the right contacts. It's to get you that you know prestigious Harvard MBA, and it's to get you into one of these uh, upper echelon uh, equity or consulting firms. And to get those connections and make your way in those firms, one of the biggest things there is culture fit. Yep. You know, can you fit in with uh, the standards prescribed by HR? You know, when when the guy interviewing you talks about sustainability or ESG or structural inequality, do you know what that means? And can you make a response to that? That's what this is about. The purpose, I say in the piece, the purpose of elite education isn't to teach you a skill, it's to make you conversant with other elites. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's it right there. And, you know, the thing that confirmed this through me and and what kind of resonates with us, I mean, we're in the business of politics on this show. We we, we try to stay in the beltway, even though we do do some international geopolitics and stuff like that on occasion when they're, you know, filling up the news cycle. But the fact of the matter is a lot of the boomer generation is getting ready to phase out and, and ride into retirement. You have a lot of these... Get entering middle-aged people, we see it in a lot of campaigns. You know, they're running national-level campaigns, governors, senators for House seats, and they have mm-hmm. 24, 25, 26-year-old kids running their campaign. And to me, it was shocking two years ago at the beginning of the cycle, but once we finally started talking with these people or they follow us on social media and you look at their face, and I'm like, dang, I'm old enough to be this campaign manager's <laughs> dad, and they're running for a U.S. Senate seat. and. Mm-hmm. And, and now well, this is the thing. Yeah, some of the I mean, I'm sure some of the other uh, upper echelon people at these elite institutions don't you know, they couldn't care less about all this woke stuff. Right. But they want to recruit top talent from the top schools. All those kids are woke as hell. And what you get is this weird thing where the slack chat ends up running the company. And, you know, these Zoomers coming in will, will bitch so loudly about microaggressions or whatever that it's just easier to give them what they want because the alternative is to push back on them and then you get branded this, like, toxic right-wing workplace and nobody from the Ivy League wants to come work for you now. Yeah, it's 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 really incredible. And the thing is, is, like, there's no easy fix to this because of where it's starting and how they're integrating themselves into all levels of big business, Wall Street, entertainment, politics, what do you see as, as some kind of a where, – where do you think this kind of comes to a head, and what do you see the future looking like for this? I'm not sure, honestly. It's, it's hard to say. That was kind of the point of my piece is that I, I don't see it as inevitable that this is going to collapse in the next few years, right? No. I think that the, the elites can just continue um, you know, circulating inside this bubble. They can just keep uh, you know, letting their own farts circulate in the air conditioning and – who knows how long that'll go on? 
Oh, it's it's definitely something that's, uh, you know, piqued my attention and, and moving forward. I, I like to say, and I have for quite some time, that this is all transitory and that at some point someone's going to be like, you know what, we're losing a lot of money and I, I really don't feel comfortable with, like, dudes – pole dancing for my kids in kindergarten but who knows i mean it's it's we, we've catered to such a small marginalized size of the population right now to make it think that it's just normal i i still think it hasn't run its course yet like most viruses maybe mm. but it is becoming a pretty lucrative service to be woke and uh you know inflation is something that's crushing everybody one of the other articles that i really enjoyed reading it was an opinion piece you wrote called inflation hitting you hard well just come out as trans you want to elaborate a little bit on that one i thought it was quite a a very real read. Oh yeah, this made me this made me laugh. I saw that uh, San Francisco. I'm pretty sure it was right. Yeah. Um, yeah. San Francisco had this pilot program called Gift, uh, guaranteed income for transgender people. Uh, it's just a pilot program for now, uh, but you know, obviously, there's the possibility of of rolling it out on a larger larger scale, and it essentially takes the um, you know, the universal basic income UBI idea uh, that we saw on the campaign trail, and it applies it just to a select group of trans people. And I, as soon as I read about this, I think you get uh, something like $1,200 a month uh, just for being trans, right? And I looked at this and I just thought of this, this character just popped into my head of this you know, guy who's, you know, white, cis, straight dude down on his luck in San Francisco, out of work, you know, having struggling to feed his kids every night. <laughs> and he thinks, you know, I, I failed as a father, but maybe I can, maybe I can make it as a mother, you know? He's in a thrift store buying a skirt. He's like, all right. Yeah, well, exactly. Then I looked into the requirements for this program a little more and I found out like, okay, you don't just have to be trans and poor. You also get bonus points if you meet all these other criteria. So um, I was like, okay, you know, maybe then he reads that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're BIPOC, uh, you get special consideration. So like, okay, I'll, I'll buy a dress and I'll, uh, I'll cover myself in shoe polish. Maybe that'll help my, my chances. And like, yeah. Oh, if you're a, uh, for some reason you also got special consideration if you were a uh, native Spanish speaker, but uh. for not any, not for any other languages. Uh you know, if you were a, if Vietnamese was your first language or something, it, uh, sorry, it doesn't help you at all, how, which <laughs> that seems very odd to me. How, uh, how dare they? Well, that's, that's the brilliant thing about that, because I think I've mentioned this one other time before on the show. It's like, all you have to do with whatever you want to be is just start with the one thing they're not allowed to argue with and then just attach anything you want to it. So it's like, oh, I identify as a fluent Spanish-speaking woman. And they're like, well, you don't speak Spanish, though. It's like, are you saying I'm not a woman? <laughs> and then it's just the end of the argument. Like, you're not allowed to argue with it. Give me my money. Like, that's exactly what's going to happen in San Francisco. Yeah. Well, you also got special consideration if you were a sex worker. So I was like, okay, Ooh. now the guy's got to, you know, put on a dress, pretend to speak Spanish, cover himself in shoe polish, blow a dude in the parking lot, and then, like, maybe. Then maybe. You got yeah. a chance. Well, I mean, 1200 bucks is 1200 bucks. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, it's absolutely ridiculous. I saw a story on the news the other day that they're closing down prisons in California. Meanwhile, every mid-sized to small business in like San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Sacramento are moving out of the cities because of such loss from rampant robberies and you name it. This place, I mean, we're about to pay $232 billion in reparations for a state that didn't have slavery in it. We're not going to do so that. that. That's kind of where we're at now. Hey, 
super uber majority here. Don't say never. Kevin Kiley's no. in Congress now. He's not in California suing Gavin Newsom anymore. But uh, I guess that'll be a conversation for another time. GS, this has been awesome sitting down with you today, getting to learn about some of your work. We're obviously going to be inviting you back to the show because I like the way you write, and I think your narrative is on point. For everybody that's not following you across social medias today, can you give us your handles, and we're going to live link the Daily Caller as well. Yeah, sure. So I'm on Twitter at Hemingway. That's H-E-M-I-N-G-Q-U-A-Y. Um, yeah, so that's probably the best place to find me. And then uh, obviously you can look me up at the Daily Caller as well. Yeah, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come down with us today. Have a happy holidays as well. This is a news editor at the Daily Caller. Join us for the first time. It's been a pleasure. G.S. Quay, thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me. See, we were able to turn it around and end on a high note. What do you guys think? Outstanding. Not too bad for a dry run. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the other 193 editions of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, you can find us on all downloadable podcasting platforms. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podatic, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Beach. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all our great guests today. We had on Congressman-elect from Ohio 7, Max Miller, Trump attorney, Alina Haba, and the Daily Callers, G.S. Quay. Thank you guys all for coming down. Friends, don't forget to go out, especially during the holiday season, and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners, because the only thing that happens when you do that is you help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Who doesn't like Mike Lindell? Sometimes when I think people might not like Mike Lindell, think of him in a Santa suit. <laughs> you enter promo code stake at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings at my pillow. If you're more of a morning person, he's got my coffee ready to brew. Wake up with a little Lindell in your cup. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. For everything sleep related, if you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best headphones that I have ever worn can only be found at Odyssey. Make the investment. If you're doing anything in the studios, you won't regret it. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. My Patriot Cigars, they've got some great deals over there. Some subscriptions as well. You order promo code steak at checkout there. You're getting 15% off the order. Remember, everything over 100 bucks, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card with every purchase you make. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Stay ready, gear holsters. What do we got this week? Uh, let's get the dog mask guy. Yeah, I like it. The <laughs> retired army guy in the dog bondage mask. Oof. So freaking classy. If you want one of those thrown on a concealed carry Kydex holster, Stay Ready Gear will get that order out faster than you can imagine. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Told you I was going to make man rub chicken. I did. Yeah. It was delicious. My son loved it the most. He had two man rubs drumsticks and uh, it was a success manrubs.com is the website there find them on instagram find them on facebook mike down at west coast survival arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun related needs firearms parts accessories and ammo his newly redesigned easy to use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com you can uh, hit him up on facebook messenger or via the telephone 619-870-6992 mediocre medic for all our first responders you're gonna like everything they've got in their store you're gonna like their instagram a little bit more MediocreMedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, come get your uh, 
Christmas Story version two, Zero Fucks Duck. It's dropping this Friday. You still don't know? Check it out on dumpbox.us. Find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Upcoming shows. We're coming back on Tuesday. The Daily Caller's Sarah Weaver will be here. Newsweek's Josh Hammer will be here as well. And we're going to have Real America's Voice Heather Mullen circling back with us. It's going to be a great show. Oh, we haven't talked to her in a while. No, it's going to be fun. Next Friday, sticking with the Daily Caller, we'll go three for three with them. J.W. Gibbons will be here. We're going to do a little bit of the news with one of our favorites, now best-selling author, Miss Christina Bob. And we're going to get the unadulterated speaker of everything Trump. Miss Liz Harrington will be here. Nice. Yep. Dr. Robert Malone will be here on the 20th, as will Boris. Everybody loves him. Jake Denton circling back on the 23rd, and we're going to do a little bit of uh, Christmas festivities and activities with country platinum singer Alexis Wilkins. She's circling back with us. Our 200th show is on the 30th of December. So far, pretty mediocre lineup. we got to brush it up a little bit. Cash Patel, Raheem Kassam, Mike Crispy. Eh. <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't abuse my text privileges with the bigs. I think I'm going to swallow my pride and text Amanda Milius. Oh, yeah. I got two of her favorites in there, Raheem and Cash. I think I might be able to squeeze her in the middle. Yep. On the show. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Friends of the week. Let's see. Truth, Social, Twitch, Streamer, Crew, Beastman420, Siberian Kitten. We love the fact that you guys share everything. 13 Gen Patriot. We see you pretty active, of course. Some call me Tim79. He's always in there for us. Jason E. Van Gundy. Ghost Hammer. Talking mm. to you. Some of our friends from Twitter. Spoopy! 3.30 in the morning. You retweeted like 19 of my tweets. Thank you. <laughs> Will S., I'm still not texting you. Matthew, please remain the upside down man. In addition to them, some of our meme team friends. We've got mostly peaceful. He had some bangers. Grand old memes was on it as usual. Dumbass Photoshop had a field day with the Brittany Griner exchange. Oof. Let's go, Bredna. John Hacker, L.A. Mm. Midnight Mitch. The Real Al Gorbachev. And Mazemore. Guys, things to remember between now and Tuesday. Number one, start a podcast. That's all right. I can dig it. I like it. Number two, do your own research. See, I switched it up on you this time. Unless this is the first time listening and you didn't know that number one was do your own research. <laughs> Listen, nobody covers it like steak for breakfast. Don't worry about it. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. The opposite of American greatness is the U.S. southern border right now. We need to stop doing that and we need to start talking about American greatness. And last but certainly not least, number four, let's see what happens. This has been episode 194 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back with 195 on Tuesday. Sarah Weaver, Josh Hammer, Heather Mullins at the very least. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Guys, thanks for listening. Have an amazing weekend and take care. Full disclosure, I know I knew President Trump in a different life. President Trump's not going to see me on this fucking thing. Oh, he might. Well, I'm going to ask him. Next time I, I haven't talked in 25 years. Full disclosure. Why? What's going on? How you no, guys no, because out? in my in his previous life, in my previous life, we shared the same lawyers. Okay, oh, and shit. so and so I would bump into him at uh, Christmas functions and stuff like that. But uh, he's a hundred times tougher than he is on uh, on TV. Really? You have no idea how tough he is. I mean, in my opinion, this is one man's opinion, Mr. President. 
these assholes that are trying to impeach him will pay the fucking price. Whoa. Seems like a threat. It is a threat. Oh, shit. 